Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Sammy Roberts. I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Hello, Matthew. I barely got the words out there. That's how fucking Tuesday night as hell this podcast is. <laughs> so so that's good. Um, I have several things to discuss with you. First of all, how's your tooth hole? It's healing. I think the stitches are beginning to properly disintegrate. So... Ooh. Yeah, like it's barely a hole. I don't think I could lose food in there now. It's that level of sealed. <laughs> okay, good. New gum has yeah, truly. Yeah, like, uh, I, I always want to go back to Ghent and tackle that applesauce a second time <laughs> just to show it who's boss. <laughs> I'm sure one day they'll make a hard hitting documentary about your return to Ghent um, for oh, such a hopefully venture. Baldur's Gate 3 DLC. <laughs> just an, like, yeah, how hard would it be just to have an NPC in Baldur's Gate who's. Like, I got sauce in my hole. Like, I'll record the line. You could use that soundbite just there. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that'd be perfect. I mean, I feel like every day I see a new news story for Boulder Skate 3 that's like, you can play as a turtle that's been alive for 9,000 years and <laughs> fancies a human woman or so. I feel like every news story is like that, like a bear does this and, you know, like a squid man does that kind of news stories. Um, I'm sure it's all very um, exciting if you're into that game, though. So uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm, it's uh, It seems to be filling the kind of the game void quite nicely. People seem pumped for it. Yeah, it's going to create quite a lot of comparisons with starfield being where it is in the schedule right like it feels like that's where this is going that it feels to me like the battle of like authored very rightly rpgs versus the you know the more kind of procedural sort of scale that starfield's going for it's kind of like which side are you going to be on in the rpg war on the side of words or on the side of <laughs> acreage <laughs> that will also have lots of words that will it. also yeah. have words which i'm sure <laughs> will be very well written but you know you know yeah. what i mean I do, I do indeed. So that's coming up very, very quickly. So, okay, I've got a couple more things okay, to discuss. Okay, yeah, I'm you. looking forward to these these uh, <laughs> headlines. Yeah, so I we should also talk about the results of the PS3 draft, oh, right? Because okay. that, right, that's see. happened. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not here to rub it in your face. First of all, the poll fucking broke because Twitter doesn't work anymore. So it got to like Wednesday, I think, or maybe Tuesday, and it had something like 360 votes and then it just froze there the oh. entire week even though people are still commenting and trying to vote and it's like polls just don't fucking work on there anymore so that's good i thought you were going to say so many people voted for you that your bar burst out the end of the poll and like started hitting other bits of the ui of twitter <laughs> or something it wasn't that bad like it was something like it was bad <laughs> it was something like 36 to 64 or something yeah, which like is, that that's got to be one of the bigger drubbings no the biggest drubbing weirdly was the pc gaming draft the two thousands one that we did that was i think i had something like 75 25 for that one and i was i didn't remember it being that fast at all right. but this one yeah so I, I did win this the thing <laughs> is though i think that i was surprised the gap was as big as it was because i do i do agree with people who say that your ps3 had like covered more of the ps3's sort of like dna than mine did mine was a bit more narrow focused but i didn't sell it dog. That was the problem. Like, everyone, yeah. everyone, no one wanted to vote for me because I made it too clear that I wasn't into PS3, where I should have just <laughs> lied and pretended to have been a big PS3 head, and then I think I might have done be much better. The best part of that podcast for me, by far, is when you go, people love it, about Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> <laughs> they do! They made loads of them! <laughs> but it was a proper sort of, like, Jimmy McGill at the end of his rope kind of sales pitch. It was... <laughs> Uh, what was, else can yeah, you say uh, about Ratchet and Clank other than people love it? Yeah, that's true. Also, I suppose that um, people were probably 
People might have been voting for me because I suggested Demon Souls to you and therefore redeemed myself in the eyes of the listeners after taking all the naughty dogs. The thing games, is, so. I think people just agreed with you. You played well within the rules. You know, you picked games that were available to you and that I wanted. Well, it got a good response though, right? I was quite... People seem to think that was one of our strongest drafts, which makes me think I'll be getting slightly better at those as we go, you know? So that was quite a nice surprise. I don't know, I don't know if you had any thoughts on, on that and on our draft craft. Not really. Like, I feel like <laughs> I took some big steps backwards with that one. Um, <laughs> I didn't play it tactically well at all. I thought I could get by on my kind of charm, and uh, I didn't. Uh, it, it proved me charmless. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not true. That's just not true at all, is it? I mean, that's let's face it, like the... You you choosing stuff that you had no belief in was part of the fun of that podcast. Well, so I, yeah. yeah, there was nothing I believed in. Like I didn't <laughs> I didn't know the console well enough. I hadn't done enough research because uh, I was very busy to fill in the gaps. I genuinely thought Puppeteer was okay. <laughs> well, I don't think people were voting against you because of Puppeteer, right? I think yeah. it was that was a pretty that was like I, I mean, what what was that feel? Was that for Wildcard? Wildcard. That was I mean, that was a researched pick. That wasn't just because it was the only thing I, I, you know, I could have picked Tokyo Jungle, say, but I, uh, I actually thought, you know what, I quite like what I've played of Puppeteer. I think the vote might have gone differently if you'd have picked. Either The Last of Us or Uncharted 2 for your second. Oh, wait, no, I already grabbed those, didn't yeah, I? I? I think, like, yeah, MGS4 was... I think MGS4 was a very love-it-or-hate-it pick. That's the thing. Yeah, like, yeah, I thought it was more precious than it was. I forgot the incredibly popular series of, of uh, <laughs> Uncharted. I didn't forget. I just, I just... I got too tied up in our own podcast lore with Metal Gear Solid 4 <laughs> and thought, oh, that will annoy Sam if he doesn't have it. Uh, which you know just I wasn't was fine. true. Um, I was alright. I was yeah. okay. <laughs> um, you're one thing you are very good at is covering up if you are cross or sad that you didn't get something, which right. then devalues the game in the eyes of other people. Like <laughs> a game becomes more impressive if the other person is like, "Fuck no, I can't believe I haven't got that game," which didn't really happen for me, uh, but it did happen for you because I obviously wanted Uncharted. I should have just eaten my vegetables and picked <laughs> Uncharted one. And because it's fine, isn't it? It is fine. And I picked a compilation of PS2 fucking platformers, which is insane. <laughs> I, respect, I respected your late game effort to burn the entire draft down. I, from I just the thought I'd get all the mascots. I thought so, if I get like all the mascots, that's like a secret win condition in my head. I think- I think like my my most show your ass moment <laughs> off the uh, the post pod kind of like you know discourse was when someone in the discord was going to bat for Jack too and insisting it was good and like getting at the angle that maybe Matthew did pick this one right and I was just like absolutely fucking not that's not a good open world game I'm not having that so there's a bit of that going I on I like on how my side. how like full on you are with these people <laughs> even though you were like absolutely tearing ahead and clearly going to win like you'll still be cross about every vote you don't get that's how completely you believe in yourself it's really impressive <laughs> what's weird though right is that's only true for the first 24 hours that i stopped caring because yeah. like you can only be emotionally invested for so long and so in the drafts i'm like that was a good uh, the, the bigger feeling was oh that was a good podcast and people seem to really like it i'll be talking about it so that's good mm. there was a really good suggestion from ash though that we should one of us should have picked valkyria chronicles that was a, like a an obvious like misstep not grabbing yeah. that because that was a ps3 only thing that you know did become a a biggish deal off the back of being on ps3 so yeah should have picked that for like wildcard or something that would have mm. been better than the beads game as you called it or um you know indeed <laughs> puppeteer so yeah but otherwise matthew another 
successful draft. Let's get on your home turf next time. Let's do a Nintendo console. It's it's. Let's do that instead. We'll talk yeah. about the DS, haven't we? I think that's an embarrassment of riches, and you can express yourself in lots of interesting ways with the DS. Yeah, okay, cool. Let's do that in September then, shall we? We'll mm. uh, have that in mind. But for now, Matthew, one last item of uh, news to get okay. to before we start the podcast. So here's what's coming up in August. You are listening to August 4th episode, what we've been playing. August 11th, the old CRPGs episode with Jeremy Peel. He uh, returns, one of our favourite guests is coming back to bang on about some PC RPGs and how much he hates the Japanese RPG. That's not true, that's a joke, but <laughs> I will ask him about that. Then the first XL episode for Patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash backpagepod, the best video game levels, Volume 2. We've already done Volume 1 behind there last year. We're going to talk about some more cool levels and games, so looking forward to that. Mm. August 18th, another big, big one on uh, on the free feed and the Patreon feed. The best games of 2016. Been a while since, since we did 2015, Matthew. So I imagine this will be our big pod undertaking of the month, getting mm. that done. August 25th, sadly a mailbag because we're both in Germany that week. We need to fart out a very quick episode for that week. <laughs> so we've got something up. So if you want to pelt us a bunch of questions, maybe some things we never talked about, maybe some themed questions about like, I don't know, a particular console you like, something like that. Something that's a bit different to what's a sandwich you like or Or, or like a very boring question about trends. <laughs> if it yeah, sounds like... like something that Piers, uh, Piers Harding Tubby Rolls would have said, <laughs> then uh, that's uh, not for us. Oh, I hope he never hears that name without the context. Um, that's... We, well, yeah, he, that's Sorry, that made it sound like we were slagging him off. We are no. Piers Harding Tubby Rolls. That's us, yeah. That's what, that's a joke about us being forced to be analysts. But the worst ones are when people like, I believe quite strongly that this is happening. But what do you think about this thing I feel strongly about? And I'm like, ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Maybe tune slightly more into the takes of the podcast with what you ask. But hey, that most of the questions we get are very thoughtful. So um, I do appreciate them. But yes, if you want to fire a bunch at us, we'll, we'll talk about them on that episode. Finally, August 28th, for Patreon subscribers. The Big Sammy Holdings Matthew Castle Productions launch a streaming service draft for the first time in the XXL episodes. We're going to try a draft episode back there. So me and Matthew are going to select TV shows of some kind and build a streaming service with all the usual fun category bullshit. What will the streaming service be named? That sort of thing. Uh, so that'll be fun. So if you want to support us, £4.50 is the XL tier. Patreon.com slash backpagepod. Enough of that, though, Matthew. This podcast. What we've been playing. So... I don't know how you're feeling, Matthew, but I'm fucking stressed out by the idea of Game of the Year this year. Like, I just don't feel like I've got a handle on it (laughs) at all. Where are you at with that? I was feeling pretty good about it for, like, the first three months. I felt like I was really (laughs) on top of stuff. And then, like, I only played Tears of the Kingdom for, like, a month and a half. And I played so much Tears of the Kingdom that I then needed, like, a massive video game detox. So these quiet months where I should actually be filling in the gaps of all these interesting things... I'm actually just reading loads and watching 15-hour films about Oppenheimer. <laughs> but that's how it goes. That, uh, so, yeah, now, now I'm kind of like... I'm behind again somehow. I felt like I was ahead and now I'm behind. Yeah, I don't think I've got anywhere near 10 at the moment. And I'm just sort of like in my head, I'm, I'm a bit worried that with the amount of long games there are this year and the amount of time left in the year and my life as an adult with a job, how am I going to... How's all that going to come together in a satisfying list? I'm not sure it will. Mm. I'm not sure I'm going to have a list that accounts for the fact that a Zelda, new Bethesda RPG, a Baldur's Gate, a Diablo, Diablo. fucking yeah, so. Street Fighter, Exo yeah. Primal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm worried I'm not going to be able to account for all that stuff on top of like you know the likes of Dave the Diver and Dredge and 
Pizza Tower and a bunch of other smaller games I want to check out before the end of the year. Last year was the first year I felt like I didn't actually shit the bed with making one of these lists, so <laughs> I'm determined to follow that up. But also last year was mostly just like eight-hour indie games and God of War Ragnarok, and that was basically all that happened, so <laughs> yeah. it was a lot easier to keep on top of. Yeah, a bit stressful, Matthew, but we'll see how it goes. and yeah. Hopefully we'll end up with a list of ten we're ultimately at least half happy with. Okay, good. So... Should we start off with my, one of my games, Matthew? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, yeah, so Exoprimal from Capcom is the game I've been playing. This game is a dinosaur-themed shooter. You play as part of a squad of mechs of across all these different classes, and you basically have to clear out dinosaurs faster than the other team. It's a mix of PvE and PvP. Now, I know those terms are not very exciting, so what I mean by that is you are playing in co-op for a lot of the time, but then like in certain instances it will become a bit pvp so what that means is that you will let's say like if you've played the overwatch mode where you're escorting the thing up the up the track i don't know anything about <laughs> this overwatch, is the level of deep analysis before. <laughs> uh you know the think think push the thing <laughs> mode uh, what's know. it there's that mode where you escort yeah, a thing like a and tro- it moves it's like a big old trolley <laughs> Yeah, that thing. But I don't play Overwatch. What do you want from me? They could put a hamster in a ball. I'm not playing that. That's not my problem. You know what I mean? So, but this this is basically one of the one of the game modes that you end up playing in. This is that you you essentially clear out waves of dinosaurs as fast as you can. Another team is trying to do the same objectives you are. You can see their ghosts throughout the level while you're clearing out dinosaurs to track their progress versus yours. And then it'll move to a final phase where you have a large objective to complete. Now. In the early part of what I played, it was mostly just escorting, you know, like a, a a sort of like a big cube thing along a track. By standing near it, you'd make it move. Then loads of waves of dinosaurs would attack you. Then you get near the end of the track, and you can actually see the enemy team and start fighting them. And along the way, they would give you these this power up that lets one of your team become like a T Rex or a Triceratops and invade their game and then just go mess them up when they're trying to like move their cube along basically (laughs) so you can see percentages at the top of the screen that show you oh yeah this cube's this far along this cube's that far along basically it builds up to these quite tense encounters at the end where one team can have the advantage but if you're if you suddenly play your cards right then the other team has been completely wiped and you've managed to move your cube along while they're respawning essentially so that's like one of the things you do in this it the the sort of the thing is that there's a whole bunch of different maps that do vary up a little bit so the the types of like dinosaur based objectives you're doing will vary from like kill all these velociraptors kill all these pteranodons kill this one fucking giant triceratops is an absolute pain in the ass to take out and then the final objective will start to mix up there'll be there'll be ones that are a bit more like this one where you have to collect a load of these sort of energy sort of like balls across a map and that's like a full pvp one where there'll be like you basically just fight you're just fighting the other team to collect Mm. as many of this thing as possible or there'll be like another one that's basically like a control point mode where there's three control points you've got to control two and get the most points and that sort of thing so it's a really weird game it might sound like live service hell to you right but it's actually a bit more like edf cross with anthem it's like there's a an inherently fun disposable quality to the combat in this game so all the different mechs are quite they're quite varied actually so Mm. you know there's there's one that's like a a beefy dude with a shield who can protect everyone else there are like healer mechs as well the one i've been playing is like a martial arts one that kind of looks like black panther from the mcu but it's Mm. like it does lots of like really swift um punching dudes and this little kind of like force field attack and things like that and you can do like quick steps to avoid enemy attacks and stuff so 
they each have their own abilities in the tutorial we get to try all of them straight away you can change between any of them in game at any time a big thing that anthem was never able to do much oh, to its no. detriment you can switch up what works for you all the time until you learn what what's actually clicking and then you can just pick that and and hope that you get sorted into squads with players who have classes that complement you quite well um quite a garbled explanation there matthew but do you have any questions for me so far about dinosaur game exoprimal when i originally saw this the thing that i was interested in was like the tidal waves of dinosaurs pouring out the skies and shooting them the kind of like left for dead horde element of this do you actually enjoy the fact that it has that kind of pve into pvp stuff or do you like could you see a version of this that's stronger as one or the other i do like it and i do think the mix is actually kind of what's great about it so right i was a big fan of the gambit mode in destiny right which was you basically have to like bank moats into this into this thing into this like pots basically and then <laughs> you could invade the enemy enemy's game and like kill them on like the an identical version of the map and then put them behind and then come back essentially so it was a mix of pve stuff as you farm enemies get these moats bring them back and then also just like trying to disrupt the other player's game and i think it worked really nicely and mm-hmm. i think it's like slightly forgotten actually as a mode in destiny i don't think they've updated it much in the last few years so it's not I don't think it's like the the biggest deal for them, but mm. it's really innovative as a as a an approach to a multiplayer experience that's not that intensive. It doesn't involve you being shot in the face every five seconds, and I, I think that this captures a similar essence of because the two are blended together. You're not tuning out because it's just PVE and you're fighting waves of enemies where you might just switch your brain off because you know that humans are lurking around and they might fuck you up. So right. th- that mix is kind of the secret sauce to it, I think. Oh. So where it doesn't entirely work is, I would say that one thing that was good about Anthem, as well as how it looked, which I thought was fantastic, was the fact that if you combined two different abilities from two different mechs in Anthem, they were quite randomised. It seemed quite strange how it worked, but you could basically pop off like a more powerful attack by having two complementing abilities. Right. It was something they did to kind of encourage you to play in co-op and it was so it was a cool idea. This doesn't seem to have anything like that. And so there's sometimes the sense that even though you're part of a squad, everyone's just kind of getting on with their own thing basically. Right. Um, and other than a healer who's like actually whose job is ostensibly just to to keep you alive even though most uh, most healers in this game don't seem to know what the fuck they're doing and just kind of go off and leave you to die that happens a lot in this um (laughs) like they don't actually have that complementing quality as much so i'd quite like an attack where there was like i don't know where there'd be like a cool animation that clears out a load of dudes because you know like the samurai samurai sword guy and my martial arts guy just did some kind of like cool anime pose and killed a load of dudes (laughs) it doesn't really have anything like that instead it's like we're all sort of playing single player games but we happen to be on the same team there's that quality to it right so that's where I think it falls down slightly. It doesn't have that synchronicity between members of your team to like really amplify the dinosaur slaying action. Have Have you been playing this with strangers? Because I've heard some people say it's quite a different game if you're like with friends or not. Yeah, I've only, I've only played it with strangers. Admittedly. Okay. Um, I've played. I think I've played about eight hours of it now. So mm. I think it's like you have to do fifty five games to finish the campaign, according to a Destructoid article I read. I've played twenty seven games, so I'm basically <laughs> right. halfway through. They are starting to mix it up a bit. Like you start to get 
like these kind of like weird fusion dinosaurs where there's like an exploding dinosaur and all these like weird lab created ones it starts to get a bit less kind of like these were these were real dinosaurs and a bit more like here's some silly sci-fi nonsense that is the other thing i heard was that if you just judge this on its first five hours you don't get to see that actually it, it does kind of escalate in quite interesting ways and there are like mad match types and uh, I, I don't know if people say it does anything interesting in a narrative perspective, but it definitely kind of comes together and like holds a lot of the, the the really weird, cool stuff until later in the game. That is absolutely true, and it means that the early game asks quite a lot of you. So right. my first experience of Exoprimal was I was on the same map five times in a row for five games doing the same objective, and right. I was like, is this all the game is? And you almost kind of need the game. The game should have something in it that forces it to make sure that the second map you see is not the same as the first. That That is one small thing that would completely change the the player's like early perspective of this game, I think, is if they saw something different. But because I saw that same map five times, it was I did consider thinking, well, you know, like this is a, a Game Pass game. I've downloaded it to give it a go. Like I, have, I haven't paid 60 quid for it. I might just delete it and get on with playing, you know, Diablo or Street Fighter or one of the other things I know I need to play this year. So but I decided to persevere and I'm glad I did because like you say, you kind of need to get to, I don't know, maybe the seven hour mark, something like that, six or seven hours. And then it starts to vary up what you're doing and it starts to take you into these story levels where there are loads and loads of dinosaurs spilling out of like a portal and stuff right. and and i've only just killed a t-rex for the first time for example so was that cool it do- yeah it was decent yeah it was like it's pretty massive it was you know yeah quite intense um my martial arts guy is always getting fucked up but yeah does it do the monster hunter thing where like when you've like hurt it enough it begins to look a bit sad and like pant <laughs> and get out of breath and stuff it, they they, they don't create sympathy in quite the same oh. way just, but that you can like get a triceratops sort of tumbles over and you're like right get him and you start firing like a beam <laughs> attack at him or whatever so i guess it's doing something kind of similar but it's it's truly one of those sevens oh i think so yeah it's just it's it's interesting i don't want to go as far to say as it's got like you know some kind of old ps2 capcom quality to it because i don't necessarily think it does but it's quite um I think it's quite a nice version of like what a live servicey thing can look like. I, I saw one particularly popular YouTuber talking about how why has Capcom wasted money on this live service thing that will be gone in like a few months or whatever. And I sort of like I sort of get that perspective, but also I don't think it means you should just never try new things because of like you know the future of game preservation or what you think a company should be making or whatever. Like I was quite, I went to it quite open minded, and I think it's quite a comfortable and slick experience it's quite nicely presented yeah. the way it shuttles you between the different activities you do is is pretty decent and I think, like yeah if a company like capcom which has quite a huge commercial hit on its hands in the form of the resident evil series and definitely the monster hunter series if they can't take some of those profits and like invest it into something new or something a bit different like who can that's the thing so i'm not i'm low to be like live service blah 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 because i think when those games are done well they can really they can work for you. Like I've had a, I have no real qualms with Apex Legends, for example. That's a pretty yeah. phenomenally generous game that I've enjoyed over the years. And yes, I'm bummed out the fact the fact that there are versions of the maps I like that are just gone and will probably never come back. But that is a different discussion to is the game experience actually good and is it fun? Because yeah. I think this, I think this is fun. It's just that like 
you no one who likes destiny should play this and expect the next destiny because it's not that it's not got that level of longevity to it i don't think at, it doesn't at have lenny james saying in a very serious voice <laughs> you must go and kill the raptors that's, a, that's not a bad impression um, I've, um, I'm, I've decided to become an impressions guy on this podcast <laughs> after my triumphant sean harris <laughs> yeah, it's a good. I think that's a good flex for you in um, 2023. There's, um, yeah. So I think you actually kind of sound a bit more like the brains and Futurama. You know, those like floating <laughs> brains. But um, Lenny James just have that slight kind of sadness to him yeah. in Destiny, where he's sort of disappointed, like, oh, you haven't won. You know. Yeah, they I haven't played Destiny for ages. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't say, "Oh, you haven't won." <laughs> Someone I used to play with called him Crucible Dad. That was his name in that Crucible game. Crucible so. Dad. There's quite a good uh, GDC session you can watch in the the GDC vault about writing that character and how it kind of unlocked a lot of what Destiny was for the team. I mean, I still don't know what any of the writing is in that game. Uh, I couldn't tell you a single thing about the story, but well, it's him. It's it's the little lines he says and like. You know, giving you a, a sense of inner life. <laughs> yeah, I sort of like again. I I feel like I'm sort of you know. I don't think I'm the most intelligent person in the world, but oh, I, I have my brain switched on. I say you're top five percent. <laughs> Thanks, pal. We both I, um, are. Well, yeah, yeah, you know. Thank you, but no, it's more like. But I just never understood why I couldn't engage with what Destiny's story actually was. I was watching it, and I was, but I just could My brain just couldn't inject, ingest it; it just rejected it. And I've played Halo, and I don't think Halo's got like a great story, but I at least know what's going on. I can at least pass it. I have no idea in Destiny. Now I want to see a, a video where we take someone who's famous for being very intelligent, like Stephen Fry, and see if he can pass Destiny after a day. <laughs> that's a YouTube video I'd watch. Can Stephen Fry understand Destiny lore? Yeah, that's it. Or sort of like, I don't know, both Brian Coxes. We could do one after the other, Matthew, and Which see how it Brian goes. Which Brian Cox can relay more of Destiny's <laughs> complex lore after a day of study? <laughs> <laughs> We, we, That's man, good. we should be running like which channel would do that? Who, what's, what's you? The... You run a YouTube channel. No, you I'm could thinking be... of like what, who's... you could do this tomorrow. <laughs> no, the chat. You get those channels which are just able to get like celebrities to do those career breakdowns. Is that Vanity Fair? Yeah, or like that, or like GQ do them. I think. Yeah, and GQ's like... lore off. They did. The, you know what the funniest one I saw of that? I think it was GQ. They did like Pierce Brosnan's like career highlights, and they, they did Goldeneye, and they did Mrs. Doubtfire, and then it was like uh this other thing. <laughs> I think they did Mamma Mia as well, and then it, I think they kind of ran out. And then probably whatever he was promoting, which I imagine was uh, the terrible Black Adam. Uh, yeah, I think it was Black Adam actually. So um, yeah, but I was there thinking, oh damn, you're such a handsome man. Should have been in more films, really. But uh, what can you do? Uh, so yeah, okay that's um we'll pitch that and see how it goes um that'll be uh us transitioning to video next year probably maybe cox versus so- cox versus codex <laughs> yeah i just know them as law eggs because that's what phil always used to call them we get to like <laughs> a bit eggs. in destiny and he'd be like i'm back in a minute i'd have to hop over this cliff and do like a ridiculously precise jump to secure this law egg and that was a thing <laughs> that he would do and he seemed to have a good time so yeah okay this game then exoprimal so it does have cutscenes, Matthew. Again, don't know what's going on. I think some people are trapped in a dimension or something. Like, there's an AI who speaks to you. He's a bit like, um, we're only ever we're only doing these dinosaur killing experiments to gather data or something like that. And it'll be like, um, <laughs> oh, ne- next time do better. Kind of like wacky corporate robot thing. Right. There's a lot of that corpo humor stuff of late, and it doesn't really work for me. You know what I mean? Where it's like, 
it's sort of like you're having a heart attack have a nice day that kind of stuff i'm just like i'm out on that you know what i mean it's just so sort of, it's just out the outer worlds is a full of that stuff wasn't it and it's like and cyberpunk's yeah. got it as well obviously and it's, it's like bad portal yeah it's like i think the only pro- i think my problem with that is we've lived to see corporations be far worse than this <laughs> and far more embarrassing and more sincere about it they're not even jokey about it like yeah. twitter at twitter at the moment all the all the adverts i get are for posture correcting underpants <laughs> <laughs> and like the images are so cursed it's like a a man in a baby grow basically having his back pulled back by like some material and i'm like what? this is how low i'm thought of by this social media platform what have you written on there that to give it the sense that you're this sort of like <laughs> gremlin that needs correcting well the thing is i think they are right i think i do hunch over too much <laughs> but, right. <laughs> but just, i'm not gonna fix it with some underpants do you know what i mean uh yeah very confusing um right then so i think i'm almost done talking about exo primal it does have like live service stuff like it has like a dino survival pass or something but you really don't have to engage with that it gives you a pretty steady clip of like you know, different um, sort of like, uh, you know, mech skins, basically. So you can change up how you look. And there are little emotes and things like that. It's fun, but I just wish it had that next level of, well, maybe I maybe I would get this playing with other humans, Matthew. Of like, you know, just synchronicity. I don't, I just don't see how the different moving parts click together. It just seems like a bunch of people doing a, a bunch of random stuff. Every now and then, when when at the end, when the squads converge and there's a big fight, you do see some teamwork pop off and and things. When things start going your way and you have like a, a hard fought victory, it is incredibly satisfying. Like the the bones of this are quite strong, I think, Ooh. and it's. Yeah, so that's why I don't mind calling it one of those sevens. I think for maybe how pessimistic some people were about this when it was announced, I think this is actually pretty decent for what it is. So, nice. I just yeah. wish it. Yeah, I wish it was uh, also included on PS Plus. I, you know, I'm playing a lot on PlayStation these days, and I'd, uh, hmm. I maybe I should just bite the bullet and play it on play it on Xbox. Oh. Well, guess what? It's crossplay, so you can. Oh. You, can, you have to. You you know, have I to have to buy it on PlayStation. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You could probably. Yeah. Okay. Fine. We'll take. I can, yeah, I'm sure there are there are ways I can secure a code. Um, our friend Ian, our good friend Ian, who's always getting like fucking hounded for code from us. Would you um, uh, Would you be pumped if they did Jurassic Park DLC for this game and had like a Richard Attenborough skin? Uh, well, I work on a Jurassic. Uh, I work for a company that makes a Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. So you're not allowed to comment on the subject <laughs> of Jurassic Park licensing. Well, I, just, was, uh, I just that was a cul-de-sac. <laughs> I just broke into a cold sweat thinking, how do I get out of this one? So, uh, <laughs> so you just came clean. Oh, yeah, I just, <laughs> yeah, I just... I'm, I'm legally can't talk about that. <laughs> well, that's okay. Uh, I've must come on. Let's think of a different bit of balance. Um, is it? Does it have any of those little ones that eat yeah. um, Peter Stomer in the second <laughs> one? <laughs> yeah, it does. I was quite delighted to see them. I was like, yeah, there, there they are. I remember you from Jurassic Park Two. Like they, um, they all just turn up about like I don't know four hours in. I started getting those basically, and they are they are really piddly. There's no particularly exciting part to fighting those. I think they're just there for visual variety but, like, more than anything. Because they're so small, can they have like even more of them? Yeah. I... Does this have like dinosaur numbers where you're ever like, holy shit, that's a lot of dinosaurs? Yes, it does. But again, <laughs> it takes a while to get there. And a lot of the time in the first few hours, you'll be asking, why isn't the game firing more dinosaurs at me? Because <laughs> when there's an absolute sea of them, and I've had a few a few encounters now where this does happen, it's pretty fucking cool when that happens. Um, and then you just start doing like, you start racking up these medals. The game kind of like 
charts your score as you go. And my martial arts guy can basically do this attack where he uppercuts enemies into the air and then like does his little blast attack that uh, that knocks them flying from the air. So you really you get enemies knocking to each other as well, and there's just a really nice physicality to it, even if the dinosaurs are quite disposable. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, it's. it's it's not bad. I think I just wow. you could just ambiently play it while switching your brain off. And I feel like every other game this year needs you to just be like, pay attention, we're doing this now. And like you've got all these like loot things to pay attention to and all this stuff. This game just doesn't put those barriers in front of you. It's just like just help your team. And even if you do shit, the game won't make a big deal about it. And mm. like you won't you won't get like, you know, tea bagged or anything like that. It's just it's quite comfortable as well, Mrs. Go. <laughs> Okay, that's enough about this game. What's your first game, Matthew? My first game is Pikmin 4. Nice, I've been playing this too. Oh, wonderful. Are you enjoying it? I am, yes. I've got a take for you, though, that you might enjoy. Oh, yeah. This is the first time I've encountered a video game dog I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what do you make of that? (laughs) What have you got against Ochi? He's just a bit... Does he need to be in this game? Like, I'm not, not totally sold on the notion of Ochi. Oh, is he technically oh. a dog? Uh, well, he's got two legs rather than four, right? Right. Uh, so maybe that's it. Maybe that's like something deep in your brain is like, I, this is I, wrong. I, this is wrong. This is I can only nature. love a whole dog. <laughs> well, that'd be a bit harsh because I've I've enjoyed dogs that have three legs before. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> can you, you should have a trophy? Can you pet the half dog? <laughs> um, oh, interesting. Uh yeah. I mean, I'm not a dog guy, so. Famously. Uh, maybe, like, if anything, Ochi resonates with me because of <laughs> because he is only half a dog, or he's quite undog-like in many ways. I do quite like him, um, though he definitely uh, he definitely messes with the the difficulty of this game, which is my boring take, which probably uh, needs a little bit of uh, preamble to understand. In that, mm. basically, the 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 big the big thing with Pikmin, which is Nintendo's strategy game in which you control an army of small vegetable helpers, is that these games have constantly moved along this slider of how much time pressure you're under. And as a result, the kind of strategy game they are and how much you rely on efficiencies changes with each game. And Nintendo have, by their own admission, wrestled uh, with this balance uh, there's a very very interesting interview on the nintendo website about pikmin 4 where the first volume of it is basically about this this kind of tug of war between is this is this a game about using a huge army to achieve a lot of things at once or should it be a more kind of chilled zen experience about exploring this kind of garden world and they flip-flopped on it basically pikmin 1 lots of time pressure pikmin 2 very chilled Pitman 3 a kind of interesting middle ground which i think is maybe still like the best balance of it so the thing with Pitman 4 and i should say i have not finished the campaign yet and it's been hinted at in a lot of the reviews that there's a lot more beyond the end credits in this game which maybe answers some of these criticisms. But I would say what I've played so far is a very beautifully made iteration of Pikmin with some amazing quality of life additions, but is relaxed to the point of uh, it almost undermines kind of what Pikmin is about at its core. I've had a good time with it, 
but there is no time pressure in 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 what i am currently playing you are free to go into a level and achieve nothing where in the previous games you were basically under pressure to constantly achieve things to, to, to you had to achieve like one or two things in every day or the or it was going to kind of add up and, and come and screw you and in this one you can just go in and like fuck around and not really do anything and come back and to me that means you, you have to set the efficiency goal yourself which you can do and i have been enjoying doing that and i like to try and achieve as much as i can in the day but it is slightly unsatisfying that there's nothing kind of directly recognising that, that what I'm doing is smart gameplay, which I don't know if you've run into a similar thing or if, if or where you sit on the Pikmin spectrum. <laughs> huh. right, so I think my only experience of Pikmin was playing the second one with the Wii controls back in the day, the uh, right. when they did the Wii classics of the GameCube games, and that always seemed like the most obvious example of it. So uh, Pikmin, what's interesting about it is just... It's kind of like an RTS where you play as the pointer, right? That's sort of what it yeah. is. You you are your character, who in this is like a, a player-created dude. You order Pikmin and this dog thing where to go and then do things for you. And the Pikmin can die and the dog can get can get injured um, and set on fire, <laughs> which is tough. <laughs> tough for that dog and frozen, among other things. So, yeah, he can't swim either. He's got a lot of defects, that dog, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> I suppose having legs. two legs and swimming is tough, isn't it? That's a, a lot to ask of like uh, of a, a dog's body with uh, with two legs. So yeah, I, I see what you mean about the sort of like pacing of it. Like I think that there was a purity to the first two Pikmin games that maybe has like ebbed away slightly as they've put niceties around the side. So there's loads and loads of people talking in this, Matthew, which really right. surprised me. So much fucking dialogue. I just, I was like bewildered by that. Whereas my memory of Pikmin 2 and then when I later played Pikmin was just, you just tell the Pikmin where to go and then you just try and get on with shit as quickly as you can. Yeah. And so this is a bit more like, oh, we're on an adventure, we're looking for Olimar, he's gone missing, and, you know, here's like, oh, he's six different wacky characters, and loads of writing, and loads of talking. Yeah. I was quite surprised by that. I don't know if that make. I don't know if Pikmin 3 had anything like that, Matthew, but it's certainly very I mean, noticeable it had, it had other characters, and it kind of introduced them quite quickly, but nothing like this. They've tried to make it as, like, user-friendly and welcoming as possible, and they've maybe gone overboard by making everything a little bit too explicit, there's just too many systems in place. There's like a lot of collectibles. There's a lot of like not currencies, but like different things you're collecting to to kind of appease different members of your crew. The crew themselves are collectibles, and then there are other crews you can collect. This is all kind of padding out this hub world. Like it's all this sort of packaging which we're so used to in like Western games, which is like everything you achieve in the game is represented at this kind of home base that kind of evolves over the course of the game and it feels quite complete and quite polished and shiny as a result like it feels absolutely like stacked with things to do and it just makes for a different kind of game like it just makes for a much more relaxing game a game that gives you a lot of like smaller rewards like you're constantly getting better in all these little subtle ways whether you're unlocking upgrades for Ochi the dog or you're unlocking new bits of equipment for your little astronaut so increases health or you get a thing which lets you sort of blow a whistle and bring the Pikmin back to you and all, all these little things which kind of make make the game kind of efficient or easier in different ways and I think they have this this sense that Pikmin has never fully found like the the audience it deserves and mm. so they've kind of made this sort of, sort of foolproofed it in a way 
by by giving it this very handholdy story. But I think, f- from what people have said, there's basically a, a whole other campaign beyond the end credits, which actually is a more traditional time-pressured Kit Pitman campaign. Right. So that this, in the same way that, like, Super Mario 3D land on the 3DS, the campaign is the training for what unlocks at the end. Hmm. I think they've done a similar thing here, which means it's going to be, like, the biggest Pikmin ever. I mean, people have said that. There's just clearly more to this game than any other previous Pikmin. And I will say, like, within it, there are things where that more pressured play does, like, raise its head. It's got these underground sections, which are, like, little puzzle dungeons. But some of them are, they call them, like, uh... Dandori, Dondori, Dandori challenges. I think, think. Dan, I think Dandori is the Dandori, think, which yeah. is some term. I think it's one of these words you can't really like translate. They say it a lot in that that Nintendo interview. These are like timed arenas where you have like three minutes to score as many points as possible. There's things in all different directions. There's obstacles that different Pitmin types are gonna be able to get past. Some that they won't. And so that's where you suddenly kick into right, I'm going to send the red Pikmin to break down this wall. I'm going to send the blue Pikmin through this water to go and pick up that apple on the other side. I'm going to use these ice Pikmin to freeze this bridge while I send these guys across it. And all of a sudden, like, that's the good shit. You know, that's the, oh, yes, I am standing in the middle of this, like, Mickey Mouse in The Sorcerer's Apprentice (laughs) guiding all those broomsticks around. And you really, like, when Pikmin is at its best, I think you really do feel like this all-powerful ringmaster just direct all this stuff around you it's a very cute friendly face on real-time strategy but outside of these challenge rooms you have to set that pressure yourself that's like a little disappointing but in this there's no denying it's, it's like a beautiful thing like it's really really well made you know it's immaculate vibes um yeah. i love the puzzle dungeons which is like the cavern stuff is more like of a pitman 2 kind of idea but like the idea that you go down these little drain pipes and it takes away like your regular Pikmin and it gives you like a fixed crew that you then have to solve a particular combat scenario with or solve like a particular little puzzle down there. And um, I like that time down the pipes runs slower than it does on the surface. Right. Because um, it raises like interstellar style questions <laughs> about how fucked up your life's going to be. Like if you go down and spend a load of times in that puzzle, Will you come up and all your crewmen are like 500 years old? <laughs> they're, um, oh, they're, they're buried. You find their graves when you come out. That's, yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, this game doesn't really delve into those questions <laughs> of like relativity, but uh, they're there to be asked, I think, um, based on the time of the caverns. But uh, yeah, like I've been having a great time with it. Like I sound really down on it. I mean, that's my like snooty Pikmin hat take. I wish it kind of bit more. Like this character is capable of of like so much. You can do so much simultaneously. And I just wish there was something earlier on that kind of recognised that a bit better. Yeah, I think that I, I think that's a fair ask. I think that what I will say is that I get the need to or Nintendo's urge to like educate people on how this works because it is quite a complex game in a lot of ways. It's got quite mm. complex controls for a Nintendo game. Like it's 
you know, you, you have to, you can give the dog commands using like a dial. You can switch between controlling yourself or the dog. When you're playing as yourself, you can switch between different types of Pikmin and they all have different properties. It's actually quite a lot of different mechanics they're layering in. So mm. I get why they feel like they have to explain all that. So I guess I'm too early on to have a measure on like how much fatigue I'll get from the lack of stakes, like you say, Matthew. But yeah. if there is something waiting beyond it, I will say that like in terms of that, that classic Nintendo thing of how pleasant do the interactions feel in your hand? It's as good as like Mario or Zelda at that. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like you say the Ringmaster experience. It's like that is it's a ten out of ten version of that idea. It's the best possible version yeah. of what that idea can look, sound, and feel like. And I just you know like I think that that the Pikmin formula is maybe slightly underrated. I, I think so. I mean, I I underrate it myself. Like Pikmin Three was the one which really clicked for me because i just felt having the pointer controls on the wii remote and the the map that let you kind of scan the area it gave you a little bit more controller power it gave you a little bit more information and those two things were really really potent and this definitely has all that like your ability to act quite broadly or in a very granular way are, are like both contained within the control scheme like once you get your head around it which i think is quite elegant there are a few things satisfying as sending 20 pikmin to a pile of little golden nuggets and then watching that little line of like ants each carrying one nugget back to the base like when it all kicks off and everyone is all acting in tandem and the whole level teams with industry it just looks so fucking rad and like it's like low-key like one of the best looking switch games yeah yeah very very nice looking game for sure so yes it's 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 cool i think it's just it's easy to let it pass you by i suppose if pikmin doesn't mean much to you but this is my first time really properly engaging with one i suppose and right while i'm like not totally sold on the dog i think that the pure sort of like on a mechanics level pikmin has always worked and now it's in a form that pretty much anyone can pick up and enjoy there's definitely something to be said for that um yeah so yeah curious to see what the end game looks like matthew when you reach that the other thing about the dog which is interesting which i think layers on top of the the lack of time pressure i do think the dog is hugely overpowered because (laughs) one of the big challenges of any pitman game is once you've got this huge horde you're moving around with all these things following you and you can bunch them up but they are still a physical presence in the world that you have to quite carefully nurture and like if you go too close to enemies they'll start getting munched on or if some of them accidentally fall in the water they'll drown and things like that where the dog's got this thing where when you ride the dog as the astronaut all the pitmen jump on and all of a sudden that big cluster that you used to have to worry about is actually a very small very nimble easy to control thing it's almost like safe navigation mode Mm. um likewise like the ability to charge with the dog and then all the pitmen that are sitting on its back will kind of leap onto whatever you attack just means that you can kind of like bundle on enemies a lot faster I i find the combat definitely in this early part of the game like way easier than any other pitmen like as long as you've got numbers on your side you can just rush people and just kill them instantly where before you'd have to be quite well i'm gonna send these pitmen are good against this enemy type and these pitmen are good against that enemy type so yeah it, it definitely needs revisiting but if it can find a bit of bite to go with these quite beautiful systems 
you know, I could see this being quite a high game of the year contender. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely going to see it through. I, I just mm. found myself needing like a, a bit like Kirby last year. I just needed a, like a nice Nintendo tonic to right. all the things that were like 40 hours long. I needed something a bit, <laughs> yeah. a bit shorter and easier on me. So yeah, that's it. It's weird that I just I, I didn't think I would rankle so much of the amount of dialogue in this, but I think it's yeah. just it just doesn't add much. I think like so much of what Pikmin's original magic was was just the the notion of you're a little spaceman and these little dudes are helping you out and that's all you really ever need to know to enjoy these games but this game yeah. like has to narrate when like you wake up the next day and your dog is bigger <laughs> or like <laughs> or just to explain every system and every character's got their own little bit of banter isn't that what like happens if you've got a real dog at home you grow <laughs> up you, you wake up and it's a little bigger and your parents say look the dog's bigger <laughs> isn't that what I happens suppose- I suppose there's some truth in that, yeah. Um, but I guess I guess like I don't usually charge on my sort of like dog into battle while <laughs> you know with a little load of little dudes also accompanying so me. Image of Charles Samuel riding around Gosport <laughs> on a dog. <laughs> it's a good point about combat, actually. I suppose you could argue it's not that engaging because the combat is just like like you say a pylon basically whereas yeah, that, there was maybe if more of a feeling of risk when you send them towards an enemy and the yeah the one and two, also, you know? like there's these ice pikmin which if you put enough of those on an enemy they freeze and they're basically powerless so like you either bundle everyone at once by sitting on ochi or if ochi's not available for whatever reason um <laughs> he's fucked off yeah he's fucked off uh he's sniffing another ochi's bum somewhere probably <laughs> Um, that's what that's what Ochi's do, isn't it? Great dog, um, great dog joke there. <laughs> like all you do, you know, your first move in any combat encounter is separate out the frozen Pikmin, rush them in. Hopefully, they'll freeze it on the spot, and then you basically like shatter its frozen body, like uh, Wesley Snipes in Demolition Man. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah. So that all of that is true, but. Um... <laughs> Yeah, like it's it's all about, I suppose, like how it how it develops, Matthew. So I guess yeah. we'll talk about this again down the line. Yes, and, uh... we'll visit and do read that interview. Um, yeah, I hear it's, it's good. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one where they talk about films and like things that they watch, and like Miyamoto talks about media outside of games, which he never ever does. You know, he's like, we all sat down and like watched Tim Burton films, and you're like, what the fuck? Miyamoto's watched a Tim Burton film? Like, this feels like a a huge, huge piece of like Miyamoto lore we didn't know about previously. <laughs> this is like more mind blowing than when Miyamoto was at that Star Fox guy's wedding, Matthew. That blew my mind when you were telling me about that. <laughs> I just like um, that some, you know, Miyamoto has probably watched and cried at Big Fish. <laughs> what do you think he makes of uh, latter day uh, Tim Burton joints, Matthew? Do you think he sort oh, of like yeah. observes the what was that one about the woman who points paints all the people with big eyes? Yeah, <laughs> I like that Miyamoto's like, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer in Batman Returns, big thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Like, what um, what Tim Burton film inspired um, Pikmin? Then, what was the the reference? Well, it, it, the reference? I think if it was actually one, I think it was like the guy who drew the Pikmin themselves. He was sort of saying like. What was the specific film? Or maybe it was just like some of Tim Burton's sketches or something. But actually, when you see the concept art for Pitman, it's like those creepy little sort of sprites sitting on like on a weird curly branch. It was quite Burton-esque. I can see that, I suppose. They are quite odd little creatures. Like the pointy noses, there is something cursed about them. They're not yeah. just cute. You know, there is something like the red Pitman. There is something very off about that pointy nose. I've yeah. always thought that. <laughs> what about the ears on the yellow one? You, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, that's the... 
all, all of them are a little off. I think the Rock Pikmin are just like straight up cute, and I'm not like a cute character guy. Like that doesn't normally speak to me, but like the Rock Pikmins are just <laughs> adorable. <laughs> That's fair enough. I do agree. Like this, I sort of found myself having a kind of like. Because when you're controlling these little dudes, right, and you accept that they all just, some of them will just die, and that's what's going to happen. And, like, <laughs> I found myself having no emotional reaction when they died. And I thought, have I kind of become, like, a sort of, like, Kurt-style, a sort of, like, problematic <laughs> figure, where I'm just sort of, like, I'm commandeering the natives, and I think that I'm God, but I'm not. <laughs> and I don't respect, like, the people or the land around me. I was like, uh, is that... <laughs> I think it's funny. They, they talk about it in the interview about it being a funny thing when they die. Right. Like, rather than, like, they're not trying to pull the heartstrings. That's why the stupid little ghosts pop out and they're like, oh. <laughs> that's obviously some lads having a laugh. <laughs> some lads. Okay, good. That's a, that's a good little meat discussion about uh, Pikmin there you 4, go. Matthew. Yeah, it's very enjoyable. Pikmin should I talk 4. about. Actually, no, should we talk about your next game? Because I've only got one more game, so. Oh, okay. Played a big chunk of Viewfinder, hmm. which is the puzzle game where you take pictures and then. By holding the photos up, you can reinstate them as 3D spaces back into the world. Does that make any sense? Is that a terrible description of that mechanic? No, I get it. It's just that it helps that I saw it at Summer Games Fest. Yeah. So I kind of understand what it is from that. You can hold up a photo, freeze that photo, and then like step into the photo. So it's it's a kind of game where you compress the world into two D, and then you decompress it into three D to serve your purposes. Right, I guess right. is 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 the best way of pitching it. Obviously, an amazing visual trick, like the actual the moment you first step into a picture, and the game layers it up quite gradually. Like you don't get to take photos for the first hour or so; you're just picking up pictures, but. The idea of you picking something up, holding it, and then like imprinting it and it becoming a 3D thing in the world, probably up there with sticking your head through a portal and seeing like your backside going into another portal for the first time. You know, it's one of those, oh, this is instantly cool. I instantly get why this is impressive. Like you keep thinking about the tech behind it, like how they kind of control and manage this space. You know, I don't know how most games are made, but this one I really can't even imagine where you begin with it. As an actual puzzle game, I think it is merely okay. You obviously have this awesome power, but what it's largely used for, or definitely in what I've played of it so far, is kind of taking chunks of the level and using them to make paths in other bits of a level. So you can take a picture of a wall, spin it on its side, print it on the world, and then it's a bridge across a gap. But while it definitely gets more creative than that in terms of the spaces you're navigating... A lot of this game is about like taking just shapes and putting them in a different place, which isn't as interesting as I thought it would be. Often they look quite ugly. Often it feels like you're fudging it or brute forcing it a bit. When you print a photo onto the world, like it just cleaves through whatever was there and sometimes it will be a bit wonky and because of that, like you often put things slightly misaligned, so you have to do some like clumsy jumping to get over it. So even though you've solved it, there's this slight hint of have I really solved this, or have I just found like quite a clumsy solution to it? And I imagine they'd say, well, any solution is a solution. Congrats, but it doesn't have like the snap of like an amazing portal solution. Say a eureka moment, basically. Some of them do, but a lot of the times I'm like. Yep, that certainly is a bit of a level I took from there and put here. Well done me, I guess. Um, (laughs) So there's something not very exciting about that. Uh, Weirdly, the bits I like more than any others are 
where it is a bit more limited and a bit more gimmicky like early on when you can't take pictures and you're just given photos i actually found that a little more engaging well where do i use this photo to solve this problem rather than i can take a picture of anything to solve any problem sometimes there are there are like gimmick objects in the world like a birthday card with balloons on it but if you pick it up hold it and print it on the world those balloons then like float around the world they become physical objects and i quite like the gimmickry of that i quite like when this game gives you devices or little things which feel like easter egg jokes on the side rather than core building blocks of the puzzles and you just get to play with there's one where you pick up a tanagotchi but obviously based on perspective when you print it into the world it becomes this like 10 foot tanagotchi which you can then like play with and like interact with and i quite like the moments of magic where a small thing in your hand becomes big in the game and maybe that's a bit like basic of me and i'm not appreciating this clever puzzle game that exists around the outside of that but it's more the magic of the interaction than what they do with it that i think kind of speaks to me yeah i think like um i think a certain amount of the having to fudge the solutions was inevitable with this kind of game right. like it it's almost like it's one thing to actually like do the perspective shift and another thing to like completely nail the puzzle design that layers on top of that effect you know yeah. what i mean so I have some sympathy for the idea they might not have completely got that, you know? Well, the, the tool's so powerful. It's like, how do you possibly build a puzzle to, that can outsmart this tool? Right, exactly, yeah. Like, you can't, really. The fact that the camera can clone devices that you might use in other puzzles, you know, the fact that the exit point you're trying to get to, why go to it if you could take a picture of it and then print that picture close to you and just go into the exit that way? You know, like, it, there are odd moments where the whole game seems to flip on its head and you're like, well, actually, none of this means anything. If, if a clone of a thing equals the thing itself, that kind of does rewire your brain in quite a fun way. Is it churlish of me to be like, but I wanted more, but I did want more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wanted more than this extraordinary kind of reality tearing uh, visual bit of genius but um yeah it know. seems to have captured people's imaginations a bit like it's have you know yeah there's been like a rush of people talking about how cool this is so yeah it's definitely it's definitely not been ignored this year which is cool um yeah yeah and i imagine it'll be on quite a few people's end of end of list uh things i i tell you what the, this is this this shows where i'm at like playing this game i kept thinking this would be such a cool mechanic in like an action game right, right? where you could like rewrite the DNA of the levels or even like the idea of like taking an object, holding it up and then like printing it to kind of like cut a man in half because you, you basically cleave through any matter with the photo. So there's bits in this game where you pick up like a pack of playing cards and you can print these giant playing cards. As a visual thing, I could really see a game where you're like, a first-person shooter you've got a gun in one hand, but, like, whatever object you hold in your other hand, you can, like, print it into the levels as, like, an offensive thing or as, like, an escape route or something. Like, that's that's what I'd like them to do with this very delicate puzzle mechanic <laughs> rather than you explore a load of Zen gardens while these, like, gramophones tell you about, you know, the backstory of all these people with, like, deep traumas. Like, <laughs> I'm just an asshole who wants to, like, kill people with a giant pencil. I'm sure many people are, are wired the same way, Matthew. But uh, <laughs> no, I'll have to make sure I pick this up then at some point and uh, and give it a look. It's um, yeah, it's, it's too too, good. too curious an idea not to not yeah. to have, have a look. So yeah, yeah. for sure. I th- yeah, uh, I'll definitely finish it. I think I've got like another hour or so to go. That's all right. Quite interesting publisher, Thunderful. They're like the Steamworld people, and they did 
that game Somerville last year was a bit like Inside and uh, Planet of Lana this year which is also a bit like Inside so yeah some quite unusual (laughs) this is not like Inside (laughs) no very much not and uh, yeah but like kind of like indie plus sort of games I guess that sort of thing Um, Yeah, yeah yeah okay interesting Matthew so okay so my last game is quite weird this week so I've been playing 1998's Parasite Eve, a game published by Square uh, before it became Square Enix, developed by Squaresoft. I think like a collaboration between Squaresoft Japan and uh, their Hawaiian studio at the time, their USA um, studio. So uh, quite a weird one. And it's based on a novel um, that was apparently like partly responsible for the rise of um, the resurgence of interest in Japanese horror in the late 90s, Matthew. And this game is, I think, like a relatively loose adaptation to it. In fact, I think it's like a sequel um, to the novel. I think that's the kind of approach they've taken. And then I think right. that... Because is is you've read the novel, right? I Actually, I haven't read it yet, no. Right, okay. <laughs> yet. <laughs> well, no, um, I own it. I bought it for a huge amount of money. I just haven't got to reading it yet. No, I think actually, like, I think what happens in actually is that they... Because you meet a Japanese character in the story i think that it maybe alludes to the idea that what's happening in this game which is set in new york has happened before in japan i think i think that's what how they've approached it so how best to describe this so basically you play as aya brie i think that's how you say her name she is a 25 year old nypd cop she is goes to an opera on christmas eve with this lame ass kind of like butthole date basically this dude who's a bit of a bit of a wash and this woman comes on stage and everyone in the audience dies apart from Aya and her date runs away leaving her there and then you go and investigate what's going on with this figure called who's calling herself Eve but also is maybe related to the to this actress who is part of the the opera that you went to it's like yeah. a, some kind of like dual identity element to it I believe and the whole thing with it is some weird idea of how mitochondria is okay how best how do i best explain this without it being a complete nightmare (laughs) basically they can speed up the rate that human cells move in order to like make people spontaneously combust that's kind of like a okay a big part of the the plot here and that's kind of what happens to the um to in the opening scene like everyone in the audience burns alive it's quite gnarly as a it's shown with the old classic sort of square soft like great cgi sequences as well there's a bunch of those in this game so oh nice that helps bring bring it to life yeah so you got that backdrop and you're trying to investigate what happened to those people and why they when this like eve figure goes around or why people are dying in this fashion why she's able to like she melts a load of people later on as well she just seems to like fuck with people's cellular structure and <laughs> a is trying to stop her a and like the rest of the nypd and the of the 17th precinct in manhattan are trying to stop this from happening <laughs> so what it amounts to is a survival horror game where you have all these really beautiful pre-rendered backgrounds in the old ps1 resident evil style right like gorgeous looking interpretations of like famous new york uh, areas like carnegie hall for example or like central park or like the chrysler building sort of like a pop culture vision of new york i would say like quite quite stylized doesn't necessarily it feels like it's made by people who have been to new york but not lived there i would say like it feels like a like that i get that kind of vibe from it but what's interesting is the combat is a bit more in the Japanese RPG realm. So you, it's it's ostensibly in real time. You encounter these enemies, like really strange enemies from like these weird snakes and and like um, birds and like this really fucked up looking polar bear thing with like part of its flesh missing. All of these weird ma- mangled animals, and you 
can put when you um when it's ready it's your turn basically when there's like a bar's charged up you pause the action select a target and then AO will like shoot the enemies and what it actually the combat is it's kind of like Japanese RPG asteroids or something because there's a lot of like dodging area of effect attacks in this there's a lot of like an enemy is going to like fire an electricity attack at you and you need to just be out of the way when it happens essentially so the reason I started playing this is it's always been a curiosity of mine like it's kind of one of those games that when Square Square made a load of money off the back of FF7 they just seem to green light loads of like random shit that some of it which was good some of which was which was bad and you know some real cult classics in there and this is definitely like one of the more interesting ones in there Mm. so i had this on ps3 and i thought i'd give it a proper go it's not that long but it's like a relative to resident evil and final fantasy at the same time which i think is what makes it interesting it's like a Mm. tetsuya nomura character designs but it kind of like superficially looks a bit like you're playing resi it's not that scary but it is quite weird like some of the enemies do get a bit fucked up and and gnarly and it's got some some good bosses in there as well and i'm quite enjoying it i think maybe for vibes matthew lots of great music in this (laughs) it just feels like late 90s as fuck in a really good way and it's a kind of survival horror flavor you don't necessarily get anymore do you have a take on me playing Parasite Eve? Is that is that strange that I've done that? No, no. I mean, uh, you know, this, this this makes perfect sense. It makes me feel bad that I spent, uh, I did spend a huge amount of money on a copy of the book, and I yeah, I just haven't got round to reading it yet. I bought it in a uh, auction because I was worried that I wouldn't have a shot at, at, at buying it. This was at like the height of my <laughs> Japanese mystery fiction main. It's not even really mystery fiction, like you say, it's sci-fi. So um, yeah. I, it's kind of absurd that I did that, given that I have absolutely no connection to the game itself. It's a game that I've only ever like seen in screenshots. Right. Like this is very much a oh that looks cool on in um, Games Master. Like games like this and Fear Effect, I kind of group together <laughs> as sort of like things I can't have that look adult on other platforms and exciting. There's sequels to this, right? Yeah, that's right. There's a, there's a another sequel on there's a sequel on PS One. Parasite Eve 2 that did actually come out in Europe the first one didn't and that I believe is more of a trad resi style survival horror game and then there's a quite unusual third game on the PSP called The Third Birthday, which right, is that's that's what I was going to ask. Was it was it that game? Yeah, yeah, it was just that was just a shooter. I think it wasn't like there wasn't that much to it. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of had an extended life as a series, but it's not like widely available now, and it's hard to tell if Square would make this available again. I think they should. It's got quite. I think it's got quite a lot of novelty as a kind of game as a series you could resurrect, but. It's also one of those game series that I think has probably had its reputation outsized by YouTube videos mythologizing how cool it is. Because right. I think most people would find the combat quite antiquated. It's like a Japanese RPG where you are a one-person party member. So you kind of need to be doing more than one thing at once, but the game doesn't let you. So you basically got like a version of spells you can you can use. You've got like a PE meter, and you can basically use that to heal or or cast like a yeah, other kind of spells, offensive attacks, barriers, that sort of stuff to for, for, you know, for use in combat. It's got like a gun upgrade system. If one gun's got like a certain upgrade, like it's more powerful firepower, you can get another gun to absorb it so it gets the extra firepower bonus and things like that it's quite quite deep mm. for what it is um it's only apparently only about nine hours long that was also part of the appeal to me but um yeah an enjoyable uh, late 90s artifact matthew i'm glad i gave it why, a go why did you jump into this one again uh just uh i was in a bit of an odd mood on a friday <laughs> <laughs> i don't know you i suddenly thought... had the words parasite eve pop into your head <laughs> 
Well, I just thought, um, well, there's a few th- other things to it. Like, it does actually aesthetically look like Final Fantasy VIII quite a lot. So, when right. you, um, it's got like a, a world map where you select bits of Manhattan to go to, basically. And that looks like the Final Fantasy VIII world map, basically. It's like, it's like New York via that prism. And I think a game that has that very particular aesthetic was quite appealing to me. And so that that was part of the reason. And yeah, just it's one of those things I'd always thought about playing and then never just sat and gave it a go. And I just thought, you know what? I'm gonna I just want to play something that's not twenty hours long. I'm just gonna play this. So mm. yeah, very bizarre. Just, um just, yeah. just looking it up on Wikipedia and laughing at the in the uh, development section of this where it says the game was produced by uh Hironobu Sakaguchi. Development lasted roughly two years, including the pre-planning phase. Sakaguchi created the story outline, not watching any movies, so he would not be influenced by them. <laughs> Which I just—it makes him sound like he's just so easily guided. Like I must not see a single movie, lest I be influenced by it, and it comes into *Parasite Eve*. <laughs> yeah, and so um, I think Aya is actually named after his daughter as well, Sakaguchi's oh. daughter. So uh, that's the thing. Yeah. So he just—he's he's so easily influenced. He just looked at his child and took her name into the game. He's probably <laughs> right that he didn't watch any films. There were some cool films coming out in the mid nineties that could be folded in. Yeah, it sort—it of, it doesn't really feel like anything else, to be honest. It's sort of like. Yeah, there's just this opera thing. Then this, you think there be might be some kind of like weird, I don't know, like maybe a sort of like you know semi erotic connection between like the these characters who seem to be intertwined in some way. Certainly, like if you're watching horror fiction now, I think it would lean into that sort of thing. But there's no subtext at all like that. It's just a bunch of stuff happens. Eve does Eve does something terrible, and I and then alludes to Aya being special in some way and then they kind of like have a fight and then the same thing seems to happen again the next day that's the story bit that's what the story's been so far it's quite right it's just yeah it, it doesn't really it feels quite random and strange i suppose like the Does idea it have a yeah more or less story than pitman 4 <laughs> i think it's got less you know Oh I, think my it's, God. I think it's got less dialogue than Pikmin 4. Like, it's sort of... There's a bit of, like... It, it almost, like, bookends the gameplay sections with with all the dialogue you need, and then you're kind of, like, dropped into these levels for a bunch of these battles in the search for your objective, and that's and that's it. But no, I think Pikmin's got a lot more. Pikmin's got lots it's, of wisecracks to confront you with. <laughs> is uh, Ochi fucked up enough to... Could he make... Could he cut, cut it as an enemy in Parasite Eve? I actually think he could, yeah. I don't want to, like, rag too much on Ochi for just having in two legs you know what i mean that's like that's that's not his fault you know what i mean that's and that's okay i have two legs you know i'm, I'm fine so yeah mm. um but <laughs> yeah so that's that's parasite eve matthew i will complete it and talk about it again at some point maybe i'd love if one of your games of the year was this strange horror game from 20 years ago <laughs> if that happens i've truly failed the assignment on game of the year so um, <laughs> fingers crossed it doesn't get that bad and i can get around to some dave the diver um before the end of the year <laughs> So we have one final game to discuss, Matthew, right? Yes, I've played the first episode, the only currently available episode, of The Expanse video game, which is the glorious, question mark, comeback of Telltale Games, or rather the strange reanimated corpse of Telltale Games. They obviously went, like, mega bust about five years ago. And this other kind of fund, some some fund, whatever that is, kind of bought all their IP and like the rights to their name and now trades as Telltale. So it isn't the company from who made all those games. It's kind of the rights to all those games 
owned by this other company. This game's actually made by Deck9 rather than Telltale. I only say this because for some reason I've had a lot of Telltale stuff in my Twitter feed the last few days with a lot of like, we're back and Telltale are back and it's the glorious return of Telltale and you're like, not really, like they didn't make it and it's also that company doesn't exist anymore. So let's just set that straight. Do you have much love for The Expanse? I've actually never seen it. I watched the first I watched the first episode and it was quite intense. There's a lot of plot. And I know it's one of those shows that everyone says the second season is the one where it's properly it properly takes off. Um Yeah. And so and then it and then it like moved to Amazon, didn't it? And I think it's Jeff Bezos was like a big fan of it. But it does seem to have a big reputation. It's maybe like a Battlestar Galactica style reputation, right? It's right. Like quite complex political kind of like sci fi thing but you have to kind of get over this initial hump which we never did like we've tried several times to watch this i think i've watched the first two episodes about three times now and i just i bounce off thomas jane wearing a little hat and (laughs) speaking in his like made up mars speak or whatever it is right if you're not into like space uh, slang there's lots of this in this right so buckle up On paper, though, uh, you know, a, a good match for what Telltale do in that, you know, it's a universe in which the kind of personal and the political are often at odds. There are lots of different hierarchies. You have the galactic scale of what's going on. You have military hierarchies on board ships of, like, who you answer to. Then you have personal relationships with people. And very rarely are all those things going to be aligned, which is the kind of perfect storm, I guess, in which to explore a big kind of moral conundrum maze of the kind Telltale are known for. I found this first episode very underpowered, though. You're the XO on a ship. The first act of this game kind of introduces you to the crew, where you basically do a lap of the ship and you meet everyone and you instantly have to kind of make a call on all these people you meet you don't know the context for any of them each of them are basically doing something weird to give you like a moral decision of like oh shall i punch this stranger in the face or not so you're having to make these decisions which you can't possibly judge a right or not maybe if you've watched the show some of this will resonate more and that will mean more but as as a as a relative outsider i i found that quite baffling the second act of this is you go and scavenge this ship and it becomes this huge like third person space walk set piece where you float around this like devastated carcass of this this warship going into like little rooms and cracks in the in the hull to collect bits of salvage it is odd that the meat of this game is this like third person action set piece where you don't really interact with anyone you 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 communicate with people over your radio and it's like Probably a step up in production values from what you'd expect from a Telltale game, which were always very sort of linear. But at the same time, I don't really know what they were going for with it. It's like a big, bland bit of dead space, like the outdoorsy bits of dead space. Hmm. Really odd choice. Like, I don't really know what it's meant to say, other than maybe scratching like an expanse itch that you want to see this scene play out. Or maybe it's like a big bit of fan service and like people really like space walking scenes in this show i don't know but for a studio that sort of sells itself on its storytelling strengths i think it's quite odd that the story basically fucks off for for the meat of this uh, it sounds like it maybe hasn't done it favors being episodic and maybe it could have just used being like a six hour game 
that yeah. is like is tight and tight and cool and a you know nice addition to the expanse fiction but doesn't feel like it needs to prolong the experience for the sake of it um yeah, yeah. i just don't know if i was gonna bring back if i if i was gonna try and sort of be the new telltale right i don't know that i would invest so much in you know, for want of a better word, open world bit of level design. Right. You, you know where you get those like wide, those wide open bits in like the Uncharted games where it lets you drive around in a jeep. Yeah. And it kind of gives you the impression that it's a much bigger thing than it actually is. Right. It's like it's like one of those set pieces stuck it in the middle of a of a very very short Walking Dead style episode. That is weird. It looks good in the trailers, I guess, because you're like. Oh wow! Like you're actually floating around space, and you get to explore. Like you don't get to do that in the other games. But that is just not what I want from these. I guess it'll be interesting to see if they try anything like that with the subsequent episodes. So uh, yeah, yeah. I guess now you've got the whole lot right, so it's going to roll out, and you'll get the next there, episode. Yeah. yeah. It had classic episode four of a Telltale series energy. They they kind of get you in with a three hour opener, but by then like the budget's inevitably running out, so they're <laughs> kind of like fucking book it. <laughs> right, right, right. Interesting. Yeah, it's a weird thing for me because I don't know if they could have made any game that would make me that would seem appealing to me. I think just because the Telltale thing firmly feels like a thing that came and went to me, like it happened. Right. And then I just it was really sad how it ended, you know, for the staff there. They had a terrible experience, and mm. I felt re- I felt you know enormous sympathy for how terrible that experience was because it seemed a, quite a lot like mismanagement from the way it was reported. Yeah, that's that's it. You know, it's yeah, it's difficult. There's a I think one of the Splinter Studios is the one behind that Star Trek Resurgence. Yeah, which I do want to play. So yeah, yeah. I've, I downloaded that actually. My original plan was to play this and that to do like a sci-fi show versus sci-fi show head to head, but uh, I only played the the, the the expanse which is why i haven't got very deep thoughts on it. <laughs> <laughs> well what is pikmin for if not a very intense um, political space opera matthew so uh, yeah. it's got a spaceship in i it. mean actually yeah that that does it does have similarities <laughs> um things are slightly tenser on the crew of the artemis in the expanse but well, well, there you not go. by got, much it's got that going for it um yeah. okay good well in which case those are the games we uh, we're going to discuss this episode matthew should we take a quick break and come back with some list of questions let's do it Welcome back to the podcast. So we have a bunch of listener questions to go through here. You know, me and Matthew fucking love doing that. So um, got a few here <laughs> Very from... Very old style <laughs> start to this. No, it wasn't meant to sound that way. We do appreciate the engagement. If you'd like to send us questions, by the way, <laughs> backpagegames at gmail.com, you can email us. You can also drop them into the pod questions bit of our Discord. I don't really promote the Discord enough, I suppose. Like, if you want to join the Discord, you just have to go to twitter.com slash backpagepod and there's a permanent invite to the discord there and um, i know it's like it's one of the suggested searches for uh, on google which suggests that people are struggling to find it a little bit so there you go a little bit of promotion there for the discord well, uh, on google it's like how do you join the back page discord well it's like if you type in back page podcast like the discord comes up so it, it suggests that people are seeking out oh so if they were doing the wired autocomplete interview <laughs> it would be back page pod and then they pull off the bit of paper and it just says discord <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we're like, well, what do you want us to say? We've got Discord. And they're like, well, we knew we shouldn't have interviewed these two podcast nobodies. <laughs> With Christopher Nolan and Robert Downey Jr. on last week. What the fuck were we thinking? <laughs> oh, that's so specific, but very, very enjoyable. So yes, that's how you can find the Discord. Join our community. People are very friendly in there. I sort of like, yeah, I think it's, I think it's going quite well. The Discord these days. It was like a, there was a, a few hairy moments along the way, Matthew. But I think we've, uh, we have endured. There's a few hairy moments every day. Pretty much, yeah. It's, uh, it's up and down in there. I think like their new version of the Mission Impossible Two is good thing. By the way, is Alien Three is good, which is like oh. he- we haven't even announced an Alien episode yet. But I, <laughs> I alluded to the possibility, and now that's a thing. So uh... they're like the Velociraptors trying at the fence to find the weak spots. They're constantly <laughs> just trying to see what annoys us by throwing out these little opinions and when they find it they absolutely ride it yeah absolutely now i just think of velociraptors as enemies in exoprimal to be honest so uh, <laughs> yeah you're not was... you're not scared of them anymore <laughs> no they're, they're a piece of piss bait you could just i can kill like 40 of them in about a minute okay first question it's like that scene where she turns on the power except a hundred velociraptors come through the wall <laughs> yeah i've not you know what? i've not seen the original jurassic park in so i don't think i've seen i that thought you were film. about to say i've not seen jurassic park and i was i was gonna be truly shocked <laughs> no no i don't think i've seen it since 1990 something like i don't think i've seen it this wow. century so that might be a fun thing for me to do at some point okay so the first question from the listeners we finally get to it I once turned my Xbox off because my friend was killing the Marines in Halo Combat Evolved. What's your most pathetic gaming moment? That's from Zach. Now, I couldn't work out if we had answered this one before, Matthew. All our listeners, apart from Angry Kurt, seemed to think that we hadn't. So I kept it in the podcast, but Kurt seemed to think we had. So I don't know who's right, but I do have an answer to this I might have talked about before. What's your, your answer to this? I mean, there's a few games that I never played again with certain people, which I guess is about as petulant as I, as I got. Right. The last game of smash brothers i think i played with my friend mark at secondary school we bet each other we could beat each other and he only ever used the downwards pikachu lightning (laughs) which is so infuriating if you're going to lose to anything that is so infuriating to lose to losing and then swearing off the game but it's not quite as exciting as just being very upset about the killing of fucking npc marines (laughs) i just like the idea of you're not obeying the rules of war and then just turning it off at the wall or something just like yeah we're not gonna do that anymore i've got so many pathetic gaming moments oh well this is this is good i think i just worry i've talked about most of these before so the one i do remember is like um leaving a call of duty 4 game and back in the day i think like when that when a player did that halfway through a match it would break the game it would like pause for a moment and um not realizing that an imagined colleague was in there and he messed me going you fucking loser um which was <laughs> quite pathetic um so you know it's good to cop to that and uh, acknowledge that i can be very petty thing is though in general i i like I get less petty and less pathetic about these things with age, but when I was younger, I was definitely more invested. That's just like a boy thing, I think. You know what I mean? Just like, you just got more hot-headed about stuff and irrational about things. I definitely had like one friend who I fell out with like every week and him losing in a multiplayer game was one thing that could happen to arise from that us maybe arguing about our favorite characters from a game we could like fall out over that as well and I feel like he had he banked pathetic moments for sure that guy very similar to your Pikachu uh, story Matthew but you know that was fair enough Smash Bros as well I think I had the same thing my friend Andrew in that down fucking B Kirby move in the N64 one like what a piece of shit that is and it's even worse in 
in melee, isn't it? It's just the Kirby's just so powerful in that game. I guess a sort of a sort of petulant moment is when uh, one Christmas my brother got Ocarina of Time and I got Pilot Wings sixty four, and because I, just because Pilot Wings was mine and Ocarina was his, I definitely went through this initial I don't like Ocarina or Zelda face. <laughs> Because it was Alex's. So there was a bit of that, which is obviously ludicrous, like this thing that everyone was excited for, that I was excited for. But because it didn't belong to me, I was like, no, I'm an, I'm not a Zelda guy. That was quite petty. Right, yeah, but kind of fair enough. I, I, I sort of get is it. Is it? No, not really. Imagine being <laughs> like, oh, who wants to play that babyish bullshit? <laughs> playing Pilot Wings instead, which is good, but I mean, come on. It's not Ocarina. That's properly cutting off your nose to spite the face. It is a little bit, yeah. But sort of like, you know, I, I don't know if it's any worse than the current sort of we don't talk about it situation between us on Tears of the Kingdom, Matthew, where it's like we have landed so far on the other end of the scale. Does it seem like I'm being petty about Zelda, you know, no, with that in no. mind? But yeah, no, that's that's fine. Like it's, you know, that is what it is. I get much more cross about occasionally I make the huge error of going into the tears of the kingdom bit of our discord <laughs> and it's i've never been in there oh it, there's some there's some fucking l- like lunatic takes going on in there and it's it's like people who spent so much time with something they've got so granular about it that they're picking up on this this little thing going like oh i really don't like this little thing and it, they've just lost all sense of perspective of like what the the grand scope of that game is yeah um it's i just can't even type anything in there i get so cross about the number of bad takes <laughs> yeah. um, by bad takes i mean simply people who don't agree with me <laughs> <laughs> okay I, like a, the big my big pathetic moment was breaking my friend andrew's ps1 with my fist while it had disc three of final fantasy eight in it because I'd lost a card in Triple Triad, the fucking random rule. That's like I can't remember if I've copped to that on the podcast before or not. But no, I've not. I've, I've heard you talk about the random rule. Well, but I always sensed there was something more there. <laughs> I had to build up to it. You know what I mean? I had to like wait 138 <laughs> episodes, Matthew, to like get to the point where I felt like I could discuss this and many more XL and XXL episodes. So yeah, I did break that and I had to replace it. It wasn't too expensive. It was like 20 pounds. I know it's more than that because I had to get a Fundamental Eight as well. It was sending that cost me about 40 quid that. Um, and it was a good lesson in like um, not losing your temper. But I'd be lying if I said I never lost my temper with the game again after that. But the random rule was so unreasonable, and uh, they should have changed it for the re-release they did a few years ago. That they, that they didn't is on is on their conscience, Square Enix, I think. But you're still friends with this Andrew, so that oh yeah, you know, he obviously forgave you. Well, the way I presented it was he did. I was like, okay, I think actually no, I think it was my copy of Final Fantasy VIII anyway not his so that was it was something i had to replace myself i think i just said to him i broke your childhood ps1 but it's okay here's another one just like it and i presented it to him and he was like okay then and then we never talked about it again really so he was Hmm. fine he still had a ps1 that functioned so yeah that was quite pathetic really i I think i think the reason we we can do this podcast is because we don't play a lot of games together because i think we would have probably got under each other's skin if we had i don't know i i wish we played more games together because i really enjoyed oh, okay. when we even when we played what was that vampire game that came out this year oh, redfall <laughs> redfall <laughs> even when we played redfall i had a good time you were just very enjoyable to ambiently spend time with on voice comms i think and halo um infinite was like that too you were just so much fun on that like if we were competing maybe but when yeah, we're like in co-op you're, you're good fun in co-op i think 
Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the next question, Matthew? Hello, both. A mystery benefactor has granted you unlimited funds to buy the name slash rights to one of the many defunct UK games mags to run as you see fit. However, you must actually try and run it at a profit. Which mag do you choose and why? And what is your strategy to breathe life into the specific defunct title and to run it profitably in the challenging market of mags today? That's from Koig. Tough one. I think, like, the future of print is probably in high-end product rather than low-end product. So I think launching a mag that maybe feels like a mag from 20 years ago probably isn't the way to go. Mm. I think, like, a profound waste of time and Lost in Cult's lock-on stuff prove, alongside, like, you know, tune and fares from software books, that there's... Or like, um, what's the one that's kind of... Uh, it's the one based in Bath, Matthew, that's quite... A bitmap bros, is that, right? Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah. Bitmap books? That's it, bitmap books, yeah. sorry. And so like, I think that is kind of the angle you have to take. You have to go high-end, get nice paper stock, that sort of thing. And so i probably, with that in mind, bring Games TM back. What would I do with it? I'd probably make it mirror the output of this podcast a bit. Be like 50-50 new stuff and retro stuff. Games TM did have quite a big retro section compared to other mags. It could like mm. take up about a third of the mag sometimes, or maybe would like you bring, more like would quarter. you bring in Ash Day onto stuff? Definitely, you know. I mean, you know, he probably wouldn't leave his lucrative job at Team Seventeen to do it, honestly. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think I think I would find it just too stressful to work in print media again, though. It's like it's actually the living inside the time frame thing again. I couldn't do as much rather than like the actual like making of it. It's like you're living your life every four weeks and being like, I can only take a week off in these other three weeks that are not deadline week, basically. And I just don't think I can do that anymore. I need to live on a different cycle, Mm. but um, I'd do that. I'd have um, games TM. I'd have no news section, probably no previews either. Just like features reviews and some fun bullshit sections and making Mm. ofs and that kind of stuff. Like that's, kind of what came to mind is like what is i guess what is like a non-edge sort of premium ish brand and games tm is kind of that i suppose so Hmm. what about you matthew i imagine people would expect me to say you know end gamer or nintendo gamer Mm -hmm. you know as as i do love it but i i don't know probably like games master probably something multi-format right just because um you know i want to be able to get free games from all the publishers (laughs) i'd I'd consider Uh, that angle like, well, that is the main reason I would bring a magazine back <laughs> is just to kind of get me back on those free game lists from all the PRs. Yeah. Um, so I'd run it like super cheap, proper toilet paper. It basically needs to function as enough of a magazine to get me on the list for the free games. Yeah. But what it actually is, I'm, I'm not as bothered about it. <laughs> I just would like some free games. <laughs> oh, I just, I've definitely mentioned this before, but like, I, I remember Simon Miller when he did, still did N gamer stuff not in gamer sorry nrev stuff i'll keep getting them mixed up sorry it's been that kind of day when simon miller did nrev stuff he would like get it was i think it was some kind of nintendo mailing list where they just send you promo copies of every single nintendo game so he'd just be like we're running x360 bag getting all the good 360 games and then getting the ds games and wii games as well and i was so fucking jealous of that so yeah you know i think it now you've you've convinced me matthew the reason to go back into print media is not to make a high quality product is to rake in some free copies of computer games so yeah fair enough i mean like i don't know i like actually running a thing at a profit i mean that's that's very difficult like if i wanted to sell loads of games master i would i'd bring it back and for the first issue i'd i'd give away a switch on the cover of every <laughs> every magazine <laughs> seems reasonable um high yeah. out, high outlay but you know you've uh, you've got them then haven't you they've, they've it's, it it's very much from the school of thought of um 
the Game Pass service that gives you Eternal <laughs> Life and Pick and Mix. Uh, uh, a back page. Like, I think if you just give it, if you give people a good enough gift, everyone will buy it. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I can't prove you wrong on that. So um, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and then everyone, like twenty years from now, there'll be a podcast. So like, God, do you remember that issue of Games Master? They gave away a Switch and it sold five million copies. Yeah, that's. Uh... <laughs> Okay, bold. A bold return to print media for Matthew Designing Castle. a cover, though, which can have a switch stuck to it. The amount of you know, cover space you'd lose to that, that's tough. Yeah, that's it. I suppose, like, as well, wouldn't most of your most engaged like readers already have switches, Matthew? Or I guess they could have a spare switch. Oh, what, you know? and they'll be like, oh, no, I've already bought one <laughs> No, that's they're fair like, enough. Oh, they're like, oh, £5 switch. Oh, no, thanks. I've got a switch already. That's good. What do you think about the part of the question that says run it at a profit? So, like, what's your sort of plan there to, like, break even on, on because that? Because this is, this is so, like, it's such an insane plan that I think people would be like, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this for a hundred issues after this, right? Just because what they did was so audacious, I will always love this magazine. Well, the thing is, you get them in with the switch, and then you you keep them subscribed with like my amazing editor's intro. <laughs> <laughs> Not the rest of the bag, just the intro. Well, that like I, like... I, you, I hit you up front with that, and you're like, well, well, if this keeps up, I'm definitely subscribing. It's one of those classic sort of like. Um collectible magazine things that come with like a little toy car or something where it's like first issue 2.99 comes with a nintendo switch next issue 14.99 doesn't come with a nintendo switch <laughs> yeah but that doesn't work you need to give away <laughs> bits of the switch first issue 99p comes with a switch stand next issue comes with the rest of the switch is 500 pounds <laughs> And people are like, oh, well, I did get the stand for 99p, so I should probably buy issue two. <laughs> also, that editor's intro column was hilarious. Issue 12, free copy of Just Dance 2019. That's like, yeah, uh, yeah just that uh, fell off of a lorry that Matthew's bundled up <laughs> into the mag. Okay, next question. Gents, you repeatedly said that the pod would likely stay ad slash sponsor free and rely solely on the Patreon for support. That said, if you had to pick one sponsor slash ad spot, who such what would you pick? What would the spot go like? And perhaps most importantly, how would you segue from the episode into the sponsor's spot? Keep up the stellar work from Mad Brew. That's quite a big ask for a question, Matthew. That's basically asking yeah, for that's about... a big ask for a question I haven't prepared. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's like about four hours of work, basically, to do that properly. So, um, yeah, uh, don't ask for much, these listeners, Matthew. So, like, yeah. I think, like... I gave it. I gave it some thought, and like I'm, I'm, I'm on a big like milk bun thing at the moment. Um, in, so right. in Bath, basically this burger restaurant opened right, and then it closed in about a month. <laughs> it was gone very quickly, but they still do takeout, and like you, the kitchen's open. You just have to go to this like weird door around the back, and it'll give you a burger. <laughs> and you can walk it off. Doesn't sound legit. It's sort of no. It's it's fine. Like it's you go in there, but it's just it feels very insecure. Like there's no sort of like security it's just like one dude and he's like yep here's your burger and you walk off he's very friendly could be anyone yeah exactly so Are you saying if i just approach the door and be like burger please <laughs> you just, just give me one you just go yeah that's mine to the bag on the the thing and like hopefully you won't ask your name then you walk off probably with my order to be honest so i don't know i suppose like in a broader sense like the the ad free thing i suppose is like i don't know i suppose like having no ads but depending on patreon means that I don't know, everyone wins from the support we get. I don't know. Like, it's it's more as well. I didn't want to, like... I didn't want to sort of, like, make the audio any less pure. I don't know. Just, I think it's also because... (laughs) 
I don't think. Do you get that fucking Louis Theroux podcast advert where it's Craig David talking about being celibate and Shania Twain talking about swearing? Do you get that advert, Matthew? <laughs> On what? On Spotify. Spotify does that ad. No. And it's so annoying. Like he's like the Louis Theroux podcast brought to you by Huel or whatever because everything's brought to you by Huel and like. Honestly, I just just drives me, you know, up the wall. And I I think I just like the idea of you just hit play on our podcast, you just hear us straight away. So yeah, I, I don't know, I just sort of like I, I'm not like adverse to doing ads, but I would rather they just weren't like the same podcast ads you get everywhere sort of thing. Like I don't know. I don't really know what a good version of it would be, but the, the only one that I'd maybe be open to, and mainly because I think before you do these ads, you sometimes get free samples. Is I have been interested in in watching some of those masterclass documentary things, right, right, which get advertised a lot. And so I'd say, well, in order to advertise this, I need to watch all the masterclass. So I'd use it to get free access to masterclass, and then very quickly, be like, you know, all you have to say is like, I watched the probably a video game related one i think will wright tells you how to make a video game we'd actually like that would actually be a good episode us talking about what we learned from will wright <laughs> and whether we could make a video game after taking his masterclass. and i'd be like no i can't because i'm too busy making like six podcasts a month <laughs> that'd be like yeah. the conclusion i'm too busy making the podcast you're hearing me talk about this on i've sort of thought about more agnostic things like if someone said oh yeah we need you to sell this mouse and here's like i don't know 200 quid or something and be like okay do the advert and then the probably the marketing guy would be like uh no one bought the mouse and i'd be like yeah i don't know what to tell you really like it's it's not a podcast you don't have that impact on things (laughs) i think we do i think we do on like certain games but i think it's just you know what i mean like it's i'm not sure uh, if i was cex i would definitely buy ad spots on this podcast that's a good shout actually we could like because we'd be like hey everyone buy hotel dusk and then everyone does it <laughs> that's a i actually think cx would be quite a good fit yeah <laughs> but we'd have to be reading out prices and i just worry it sound a bit crass i don't know like well, we um, do that anyway yeah it's true i tell you what cx would not want to be on games court where we make <laughs> fun of people's pre-owned purchases <laughs> i might feel differently if i had a podcast that had like a massive audience but quite a small list you know like supporter list but we do actually have yeah, you know, I'm very grateful for the support we do have. So I don't want to mess with the alchemy too much, really. So Mm-mm. I've just left it because I'm terrified. That's basically the truth. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's right. I, I, I like that it's pure. Yeah. I believe in the purity too. I did have a very bad attempt at like my my milk bun advert though, Matthew. <laughs> oh, yeah, come on. Then. So basically, this got, is this going to have big episode 100 energy? Uh, I think it's like not. It wouldn't have been. You know where like we had that first cut of episode 100 that wasn't very good and you were like i think i can make this better by slicing out 30 minutes of it <laughs> and then you did and then you did and then it was actually like decent in the end i think it's a it's maybe got like the off cuts kind of uh energy i've to never it. worked so hard to make something merely decent <laughs> <laughs> it was a, yeah, a big edit job really like the the, the hitman bit at the start bailed it out didn't it so uh yeah um so listening to that original cut of that podcast is like watching the clips of back to the future with eric stoltz it's just so <laughs> it's so fucking wrong but there is like a kind of novelty factor to it i remember when we were recording it i got this because i had like come up with pretty much all of the skits and matthew just sort of attended and joined in and i felt like matthew was not convinced by it while it was happening and it really did just come together at the end so uh God, I almost don't want to have a go at an advert now because this has been a much more interesting thing to discuss, like the making of episode 100. (laughs) But I did did have a go, though, Matthew. Basically, when Matthew makes a draft pick that he isn't convinced by, I'd go, 
Hey, sometimes in life we all make decisions we regret. Take my good friend Matthew here. Picking a PlayStation mascot he's not convinced by, but you can never go wrong with a cheeseburger. And while Milk Butter Bristol and Bath <laughs> might narrowly miss out on the cheeseburger crown to local competitors' Magu Burger, you can't go wrong with a cheese and bacon Bronx fries. Leave a lifetime of mistakes behind with Milk Bun. That's what I came up with, Matthew. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's it's fantastic. It associates them with failure, and also says they're not as good as Mago, <laughs> which I think is true. But that I must admit, no, that, no we don't. We won't go into that again. It's fine. But uh, yeah. yeah, I know you've, you're big on their slaw. They're like they've been very good to you with the sides. Do you want to read this next one, Matthew? <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. All right, S and M. Oh, God, this is broad. All right, SNM, please rate all the main consoles of the last few generations out of 10. <laughs> um, how are you feeling about doing no prep for this episode now, Matthew? <laughs> That's an episode concept. That isn't a question. I like this. Please rate. Just ask. It's, there's, like, no preamble. It's like, uh, hi, guys. Uh, do you mind doing loads of fucking work for me? <laughs> Oh my god! Please rate all the main consoles of the last few gens. It's so vague. I love it. I mean, uh, that's fr- that's from Nintendo sixty four. There's a lot, there's a lot to enjoy here. You, you reacting in real time to look at these questions for your own podcast for the first time and being like, "What the fuck is this?" That's amazing. <laughs> And then also the hostility of saying to the listeners, <laughs> getting us to do a load of fucking work when we ask them for questions. <laughs> but like the questions are like, you know, what would you be if you were a sandwich? Not like, I want you to evaluate all the consoles from ISIS. It's a lot of work. All right. Well, Have you got an answer for this? I do. Yeah. Because I had like, t- you were like, um, you were running behind slightly for the podcast. Normally it's me running behind. And... I did do a bit of prep for it, but uh, oh, that's so killed me. Rated all, I'm, I like I, I will happily just react to what you've scored the all the consoles from the last few generations. Well, first of all, what would you be if you were a sandwich? Because <laughs> you, you mentioned that as a hypothetical question. What kind of sandwich would you be, Matthew? I want to know that more than the answer to this. Oh, I'm quite round. I'd probably be a bap of some kind. <laughs> you could be. I'd probably be yeah. like a loaded breakfast bap. Oh yeah, I quite like yeah, I quite like the idea of that. I mean, I don't, I don't think of you as like you know, you know, bacon and eggs. That's not. I'm not sat there thinking that's what Matthew Castle is. But no, but you don't. I'm not also. I'm not like salad. You know. Yeah, I think I'm definitely like some kind of red meat and mustard and sort of like red onions, kind of like bagel. A very much an acquired taste. Yeah, but like you know, if you do like it. You're, yeah, we're gonna have a good time. I think that's kind of like the the vibe there. So, things I'm quite I'm like in person. I'm quite sort of vanilla and eager to please. <laughs> so I'd probably be a very broad, popular sandwich, like a <laughs> cheese and onion, or, or chicken, just chicken salad or something. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can sort. Of, I can sort of see that. But you know, behind the scenes, just you're quite cucumber. Oh yeah, behind the scenes, like <laughs> you know, I'm like a like a. <laughs> Baguette full of fucking. I don't know where I'm going with this. Kentucky Fried Chicken and mayonnaise and store. <laughs> oh, I don't dude, know. That's... Fuck, I, I haven't planned for the questions we do have, let alone the ones that come up. <laughs> okay, I'll just give you my answers to this. So, yeah. Uh, I thought like PS4 was like an 8. I went with that. I think that's pretty solid. Right, X, good. Xbox, Xbox One or 6. You've got to like the market down for the, yeah. the Connect, mandatory Connect. Um, 
At the moment, I'm I think... surprised to PS4 is not like a nine. I think it's just because like the games it's most famous for weren't all games I massively click with. So okay, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's um, I think it also like the the list of reasons that make it exciting individually as a console is smaller than it would be for you know like PS2 kind of generation or even mm. a 360 PS3 generation. So um. Yeah, like uh, I've got like the Wii U as a four out of ten. I thought that was kind of like tough but fair. Um, yeah. At the moment, I think both the Series X and the PS Five are probably both a seven. Um, they might also they might be an eight tied. Like I, I am enjoying the games coming out, but like it's a bit it's a bit of a different okay. exclusives generation, I isn't it? I can buy into that. Yeah. So um, PS Three was a six, uh, definitely. Um, Three sixty was probably a ten. Maybe a mm-hmm. yeah, maybe a nine, probably a ten. Yeah, and then the switch is. I think the switch is a nine. I think that's probably where the switch is at. I think the switch is a ten for me. Yeah, for, that's fair enough. I think it's like its lack of power is probably the only thing marking it down slightly, and that being noticeable in some more recent um, games. You want a ray traced Ochi? Do you? <laughs> that's actually the last thing I want. I don't ever want to hear about ray tracing again. Thank you. Um, <laughs> imagine, imagine that the number of legs he could have with a bit more oomph. <laughs> I've spent most of this generation pausing games by a puddle of water and changing between performance mode and like <laughs> what what is the, yeah. the other one? Um, to, trying to see what difference the reflection is in the water and whether it's worth it. That is not like a good evolution of the video game experience in my book. I will take the frame rate every time, thank you. So, anyway, um, so yes, uh, that was basically it, Matthew. Those are the last oh, few right. generations. Well, there you go, Tim Tendo. I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> Do you have any takes on that? Like any that you agree with or disagree uh, with? Yeah, they most they mostly sound about right. Yeah, blew it, blew through an episode idea there in forty five seconds. I hope you're proud of yourself, Tim Tendo sixty four. Okay, we... I just I don't know. Like I feel like we have. I feel like if you stitch together all the episodes we've ever done, I I would hope we paint quite a comprehensive picture of how we feel about all the consoles from from the the last few generations. Yeah. I think the f- maybe it, like this feels like an abridged version of the whole podcast, which is why the question makes me laugh because it's like take your entire project and boil it down to just numbers. Yeah, it's too reductive. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. it's sort of like yeah, we like you say, there's 138 episodes of kind of discussing this e- these eras of games in quite I, I like so, to think reasonably eloquent fashion. So yeah, yeah. okay, let's do but, it. Uh, listen, thanks, thanks for listening. <laughs> Okay, and we'll do a couple more here, then we'll wrap up. So, hi Samuel and Matthew. Over my years listening to various podcasts, I've discovered many new things I would never have tried before. Perfect examples being my newfound love of Japanese crime fiction, which is down to this podcast and trying and loving the Ninja Theory DMC game after Chet and John gave it their Game of the Year on their reassuringly finite gaming playlist podcast. For those people who don't know, that's a UK podcast that existed for a I don't know, like maybe six or seven years. It was really good. Um, former games journalist John Denton and uh, Chet Roivas made that. Um, it was very enjoyable. It was one of the inspirations for this podcast. Um, so my question is whether podcasts have ever led you to try anything out of your comfort zone, whether it be in games or something else, and what were the what were some of the best examples? That's from Angry Kurt. Matthew, mm. what have you got for this mm. one? So have games ever made me try something out of my comfort zone? No, have zone? podcasts ever made you try something out of your your comfort zone. Oh, whether a podcast. Yeah. Listening to the Big Picture podcast, which is one of the few podcasts I do listen to and we rip it off endlessly, their affection for horror and talking about trashy horror and where it's readily available 
has led me to trying out a few more horror bits and bobs here and there. I got a little Shudder subscription in the run-up to our Horror XL episode that we did, which was probably partly due to them. That's funny, actually, because when I was trying to measure my um, the effect of the big picture on me, horror was what I came back to as well, Matthew. Oh. So, like, weirdly, I think it's because I've already seen a lot of their their key texts that they talk about a lot, like Michael, right. Michael Mann stuff or Aaron Sorkin stuff or 90s films. I feel like I'm fairly up on those. So, mm. it's yeah, it does come down to the slightly odd stuff. So when they, they basically did like a... Like done like a bunch of different horror episodes where they pull out different films and that's how I ended up watching Speak No Evil on Shudder for example they did like quite a lot of podcasting about that and I heard buzz about that anyway and it was <laughs> it's a pretty depraved horror film that really takes its time to get to the point but it's worth it and they're going to remake it and I don't know what the fucking point of that is like you're a philistine if you watch a remake of that and not the actual thing because it's so easy to get mm. hold of uh, with James McAvoy, apparently. And so, yeah, I think that's that's one example. I ended up watching the original Miami Vice TV show for the first time because it was on the rewatchables and I wanted to know what the hell right. they were talking about. Also because I was kind of curious about that as a sort of, I guess, like a Michael Mann sort of sub-project. With Chet and John specifically, I did try a, few, a, a lot of games they mentioned. The most obvious one is like the Velocity games, who I think were the developers of Power Wash Simulator made those, Matthew, and now gone on to enormous right. success. So... Yeah, those kind of come to mind. Horror films are like probably the big ones. I sometimes listen to episodes of the Rewatchables about films that I've seen years ago that I thought were shit, and they talk about them with such affection that I'm like, you know what? I will give that a second go, and it is inevitably a shit as I remember it. Yeah, see, like Ocean's Twelve, etc. <laughs> Primal Fear. Oh, oh, I thought Primal Fear was okay, but like the the twist. Like yeah. Okay, maybe shit's a bit much, but like they've got quite a bad habit of elevating like two or three star films. They talk about them all with the same level of enthusiasm that they do their favourite films ever on that show. Yeah. So you come out going like, that sounds so good and iconic. And then you watch it and you're like, ah, no, this is a little bit like three stars. Yeah, but it's a, it's a great... What I think I really like about that podcast and the true thing that we've lifted from a lot of their podcasts is like the language of how they discuss those things in this very sort of accessible way where you're kind of like drawing a larger cultural picture of where things fit into other things and I think the style of doing that is what I enjoy most about those podcasts so Mm. the way they will frame Primal Fear as like an intersection of what is going on in Richard Gere's career or like the rise of Ed Norton and things like that they they love an imagined narrative as do we exactly so (laughs) that is the part I really enjoy about about those podcasts so they definitely lifted that if you've ever listened to like the preamble to a draft episode of this podcast but the funny thing is with games right is that games are much more monocultural than people realize it's actually like the few indie games that kind of break out really are the indie games that break out. And it's hard to find avenues that cover that stuff that actually falls outside of that, you know, that doesn't quite make it or doesn't quite get the attention that it either wants or deserves. Like, it's games are more monocultural than, than you think. Like, Dave the Diver is mm. a good example of that, right? Like, everyone was suddenly covering that and then the game was everywhere and now it's sold like a million copies and the same is true of dredge the same is true of pizza tower but for all those Mm. games there are hundreds of other games that get no attention at all so i don't even really rely on coverage as like a recommendation vehicle i kind of rely on it as like for for like good writing about things i already know i'm gonna play or things i'm interested Mm. in Mm. so weirdly it's quite rare for me to like discover games because of I don't know, websites or podcasts these days. It's just not, that's just not how the framework of how things seem to work in the games industry. Sure. So there you go, a bit of a bleak note there, Matthew, but um, mm. probably true. 
Okay, any any more thoughts, Matthew? Should we move on? Let's move on. Okay, do you want to read this last one? Uh, short one. What's the best pizza restaurant you've eaten at, and what's the best pizza chain following Samuel's brutal takedown of Bella Italia in the RPG channel on the Discord? Hey, it beats a Dreamcast talk in the episode chat, and that is from Balladeer. Yeah, so I think, like, Oven in Bath probably is the best pizza place I've been to. Experiments with the form, Matthew. You know, I like the uh, fig jam and spicy um, indusia. Creamed walnuts. Creamed walnuts pizza. That's a fucking great pizza. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but... I, yeah. I, I do love the oven. I will say, the last couple of pizzas I've had at the oven, I felt like the toppings were a little stingy. Right. Interesting. I actually felt like there was a little bit too much crust on the go. And I, it's like twice, it's, it's almost becoming a trend. Yeah, cost of living crisis. And I wouldn't want to have to write a scathing review on Google reviews, <laughs> which I've started I've started reviewing a lot of stuff <laughs> on Google reviews. Because once you've done it a couple of times, you're, you keep getting pinged on your phone. And it's like, you're an amazing reviewer of places in Bath. You should write more reviews. Why don't you review this dry cleaners he went to? <laughs> Why don't you review pret a Why don't you review the Abbey? It basically asks you to review anything you've been near or recorded <laughs> on Google Maps. And I'm like, sure, I'll review those. So I've just started reviewing lots of stuff. And I've become like quite a key reviewer in Bath. <laughs> I can't believe you are, like, producing free content for Google, Matthew. I mean, they're very short, and if you read the reviews, I think you'd see that I'm not putting a lot of time into them. It's funny, I, I got, uh, like, the, when some dudes came and cleaned my flat, right, they begged me for a Google review, and when you, re- <laughs> when you re- they, and they asked me to name them by name, and when you, when you read, I got, like, a notification today saying 50 people have read your review, and because I list the names of them in the first line, it sounds quite a lot like they got a gun to my head and they're like, <laughs> to tell them I'll fucking clean your flat was afterwards. And like, and I just want to make it clear, by the way, that's like the first time I've ever hired people to clean my flat. But it was, I was going to say, like, I paid my taxes on the Patreon. I, and then like, I paid for like one deep clean because I thought I was going to move out a few months ago, then didn't. That's basically what happened. But now, <laughs> one deep clean. <laughs> well, that was it. Because it just, things had gotten bad because I worked from home and I was like, you know what? Right. I just need like I just need I just need someone to get the grime out of my bathtub. That's not me, basically. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I, there's no good way of framing this. But like I said, so cursed. I, <laughs> it's not that bad. I'm just saying, like you know, you get a lot of lime scale in bath, don't you? So anyway, so yeah, that re- that's it. Blame it on the dirty or water. So that review reads quite a lot like I don't know Gav and oh. Sean and this other bloke have a gun to my head and they're like, fucking say how nice that bathtub is. You never had a shinier bathtub than this. I've had. Thousands of people read my review of the big Sainsbury's. <laughs> what do you say about it? Well, that's exactly what I wrote. I was like, listen, it's a big Sainsbury's. Like, I think you know what this is. And, I, you know, I think some people have liked that review. You know, it's obviously given people a little bit of a chuckle. I like the idea that you're just scanning through these things and you might find I've written a few a few a few gags in there some of your best journalism is now in google reviews around bath random sandwich places pubs uh i'll tell you where i went for the first time the other day oh yeah that good fish and chips restaurant you recommended oh yeah what's it uh oyster shell no the other one is scallop oh, yeah, shell yeah scallop shell that that yeah that was good oh yeah i told you fish after, and chips, our, after our whole like fish and chips thing on the podcast where i didn't think you could do like 
really great elevated fish and chips and that's exactly what i had there it was delicious yeah it's fucking amazing like just the top top batter it just it really yeah it's changed fish and chips for me forever for that place so i gave them a five star review okay good well there you go so that's what matthew's doing these days in his evenings um playing the expanse episode one and going this isn't very good then reviewing big sainsbury's uh, like, I have detailed thoughts on the big Sainsbury's. I think the sushi counter is not exactly working out for them. You know what I mean? Like, if you test that sushi, take that sushi for a ride versus Waitrose. Waitrose knocks it out of the park every time. Over-refrigerated. You've got to, like, hose it down with the sweet soy sauce to make it even vaguely edible, in my opinion. That's my take, Matthew. Don't even have any thoughts on that sushi counter. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't buy sushi, so... Okay. Okay, that, that's it then. The podcast is done. On that note, it ends, basically. So, Matthew, that was a, a very strange episode of this podcast. Very odd, like, late Tuesday energy to it. But I think, uh, I think like, I'm optimistic about the month ahead. I'm excited for best games of 2016. Excited for our first XXL draft. So, you Ooh. can follow the podcast at twitter.com slash backpagepod. I may migrate to another platform at some point. It feels like Threads is already over, maybe. So, oh, Threads is rubbish. So, not sure it'll be that one unless they vastly improve it. I quite like Blue Sky, but there's not enough people posting on there. That feels a lot like twitter in 2009 as soon as i get an invite code man i'll send it your way so you can get on there i'll uh, pull you off Thanks. of the raft there's also a lot of people talking about how bad twitter is on blue sky and that just feels like a complete waste of time and energy but oh uh, it's uh i'm still having an okay time on twitter yeah it's not it's not as bad like it's just but every week there is something that makes you like existentially yeah. like question what is going on <laughs> on the whole platform you know so yeah um yeah. where can people find you on social media there matthew I'm at Mr. Basil underscore pesto on X. (laughs) (laughs) Grim. I'm Samuel W. Robertson. We'll be back next week with a new podcast. Goodbye. Bye bye.